ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to these Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me as always, Nathan Bartleball. Nathan, what's going on, man? Hey, Nathan, how's it going? Um, not too much. I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, we're in the we're now a bit into July. Uh, the between now and the last episode, yeah, the fourth of July happened, and uh, or kind of happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but. yes. We actually um, where we've just moved to, we actually had a fairly decent fireworks showing. There was about four different groups in four different directions setting off fireworks. So. Um, we got to go out. Yeah, and everybody experience. was setting off fireworks this year. Not not like little ones, but like actually yeah, rockets were, yeah. over the houses. I didn't seem entirely safe, but <laughs> yes, yes, very true, very true. But we, uh, you know, we survived and we are back on it and uh, excited about what's coming up. We do want to make a couple announcements of things that are coming up uh, in the future here on these Go to Eleven. One is uh, next week. Uh, don't forget to tune in because Nathan, you and I will be talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to do what we did last time and do our analysis and give our thoughts on it. And then uh, the week after, we're going to go ahead and have uh, our live um, Zoom uh, meeting with everyone, and we're going to go ahead and record that and get others pers- other people's perspective on it. So you, the listeners, go ahead and brush up on it. You still have uh, you know a couple weeks left to go ahead and do the reading on it, and then we'll go ahead and, and sit down. I just I saw uh, Chip who joined us for our last one that we did with the fellowship, and he said that he is looking forward to the next one. So he's excited to get on there. And join us again yeah. for the two towers. Yeah, I had a really fun time with that. I think that was a lot of uh, that was a lot of fun. Jared joined us too. There were a couple others, and uh, it was a good time. I'll try to put it out. Maybe we get a few more people to uh, to join next time. But yeah, I, I had a good time with that, and I wanted to uh, yeah go ahead and finish your, what you were saying first, uh, Nathan, because that was one. Those are two of the. Yeah. Shows, yeah. Yeah. So we got, the, so we got that coming up and then, uh, early August, we're actually trying to coordinate with Zach to get on and do a dark man, Robocop, uh, themed yeah. podcast. So we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and try to coordinate that with him and get him back on here so we can, we can make that happen for you, the listeners. And then Zach just finished watching, uh, Avatar, the legend of Korra. And so we're looking forward to maybe sometime down the road doing, doing an analysis on that one. Uh, we did one with Zach earlier, but Nathan, you said that you were just going through it with your children and we want to, we want to go ahead and do one and grab, uh, some, your thoughts on that. Having been a while since you've seen that and, and even, um, getting your thoughts on the perspective of watching your kids watching it and, and their thoughts. Yeah, we're in Airbender right now, so we haven't made it to Corey yet. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and we'll do that one. Um, we'll do that one first, but then, uh, you know, hopefully we'll set it up and we'll have time to watch The Legend of Korra and do one with Zach uh, on that. Um, and I wanted to give a quick shout out. I'm probably going to include a, uh, a – so two things. One is that um, – personal plug here. But the Phantom Galaxy podcast that was once Pop Culture Ninja and became Phantom Galaxy <laughs> and then went dormant for like two years is back. We had – we have one episode up already uh, that reviews The Vast of Night that came on Amazon Prime, which is a really um, interesting, I think, uh, science fiction movie that takes place in the 1950s and is kind of deals with aliens and things like that. I'll leave it for everyone to to uh, 
check into on their own. But you, we talk about that. We do a couple other movies. And I also, the next episode, which I am currently editing, I wanted to mention this because uh, uh, Jared Hiller, when he joined us, for the two tower or not for the two towers for the fellowship of the ring. When we had that live thing, he had brought up a TV show called into the night, yes, which is on yeah. Netflix. And I, uh, here I'll just say that, yeah, you know what? I, I actually really enjoyed it, Jared. Um, thank you for the recommendation. I was going to come back on after we had watched, uh, after I'd seen the first episode, but then the nature of the show is such, it was like, let me see. I want to be able to see everything that's there. So I, um, I was intrigued by it. I did enjoy it. And I was going to, I know we've got a lot to do with the 89 episode here, but I am including a kind of capsule review of it at the start of our next episode of Phantom Galaxy. So Jared, if you listen to this, you can head over to Phantom Galaxy and I do, uh, do a review that for anyone who wants to know though, into the night is an interesting and kind of, um, it's interesting where it goes. It, the setup is a setup that we've seen a lot. The way they handle it, I was very interested in. The, it, it's not perfect. It has its flaws, but it's different than I was expecting. And it's one of those shows that uh, does a lot with, with, with a little. Yeah. So yeah. I always appreciate those. It is sort of in the science fiction vein. It's a little bit more grounded than I was expecting when I heard the overall concept, uh, meaning that it is a little bit more, seemingly it's a little bit more sci-fi than, say, mystical or supernatural. But I do think that if you're into those kinds of shows where they bring a lot of characters together in one space and uh, the drama that happens is a result of this external force, but the external force isn't necessarily the be-all, end-all, that's, uh, that's kind of the setup. But I, I do review it over there. You can check that out. Nice, nice. Definitely, yeah. And uh, Nathan, we never mind you uh, plugging Phantom Galaxy at all. Uh, you know, I've been on many times, and uh, we've even, back yeah, soon, we've right? even talked about me coming back <laughs> on. So you know, never mind plugging any other uh, podcasts and, and projects going yeah. on. Love to get all that out there. So at, at, with that, we are going to bring the ninjas back to. Yes. Phantom Galaxy when Nathan comes on. So well, we just need to work some of the details on that. Yeah, we got a lot of cool stuff going on. I have a lot of different guests. Um, but yeah, sounds good. But I'm ready to talk 1989. How about you? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, 1989, I can remember very clearly moving into that that summer, moving into the house that my mom still currently lives in. So for over 30 years now, my mom has lived in the same house. Uh, we moved, we used to live in Manchester, New Hampshire, and we moved from Manchester, New Hampshire, 45 minutes away to Loudoun, New Hampshire, small, quiet little town, has a speedway in it. Actually, it's an international speedway, so it hosts the Daytona and all that stuff. So a few times a year during the summertime, uh, the little town of Loudoun is bustling. But other than that, very small, quiet town. And I remember just very distinctly moving from Manchester. I was, I was eight years old. That's all I knew, all I could remember was my life in Manchester. And then we were uprooting and moving to, you know, as an eight year old, 45 minutes is forever far away. Uh, <laughs> so moving to what would become uh, our forever home and uh, grew up there and had some fond memories. And so that is my biggest memory of 1989. And we'll get to the movies and things like that. But during that summer, we we really because we were moving, we didn't have time to go to go and see any movies that were in theaters. You know, I'm sure we still rented a bunch 
and watched a bunch, but we didn't go and see any of these that came out. We're going to talk about them, but I do remember so distinctly the music, you know, that 40, 45 minute drive back and forth to packing and unpacking. I do remember the music. And so we're going to talk about that as well. What are your memories of 1989, Nathan? So it's a, and so I didn't move. And actually it's funny given, you know, my movie bent and whatnot, uh, but we didn't go to the movies really at all when we when we were younger. Um, parents didn't really have a lot of money for it. We went only a handful of times in the entire time uh, that I was in, like school up through um, probably right up until we ended up moving, and then we ended up moving not too far away from a theater that was one of those dollar yes, second run theaters. Yes. But that was like in 1990. Uh, five when mm-hmm. when we started doing that. So before that, I can count literally on my hands the number of times. In fact, I'll do it right now <laughs> to see. We uh, as a family, we would go. We went to see Return of the Jedi, like mm-hmm. 1983, yep. the first movie I ever saw. The next movie I saw was probably a year or two later. It was called Baby: The Secret of the Lost Legend. It was I was yep. a big dinosaur kid. Yep. Yep. Disney released it. They took took me for my birthday. Now I went in between there. I went a couple times with friends later when I was in middle school. You know, we would get the. Someone would say, hey, can Nathan come over and spend the night and we go to a movie? So I saw a couple movies that way. But the next time my family and I went to a movie was Jurassic Park. Nice. And in 1993, again, dinosaurs. And so between Baby and and Jurassic Park. And the funny thing about the Jurassic Park uh, instance was my parents had gone out to see a movie for their – their anniversary in April and somebody had recommended them the crying game. (laughs) (laughs) They had gone to see this movie and they didn't know what they were in for, but I guess they also kind of lucked out and probably given what happens in that movie lucked out also because the projector was getting blurry. So you couldn't see everything (laughs) in the film. And uh, so I think that, you know, I think my dad thought that was partial blessing, but that also means that they got free, two free tickets. So, that that reduced it by we had four other kids we had four kids and two adults so they reduced it by two adult tickets and uh, they were, we went that summer to see Jurassic Park and then about a year or so later we moved and then we went to the movies regularly and you know after that Although my dad and I did no I take that back uh, my dad and I did go to a, a, a discount theater and we saw Matinee and Army of Darkness back to back nice so, but outside nice. of that so it was only a handful of movies so we weren't seeing a lot of movies in 89 the big one of the big things I remember in 89 was that was the summer I was introduced to Nintendo yes that's, uh, that's when that relationship began so to speak and uh, and it happened we went to North Carolina on a vacation and we went down there and we have a lot of family down in North Carolina. There are less there now than there were, but we were down there and uh, I was probably mid summer, probably around this time. And when we were down there, we had lots of plans. They had lots of plans to take us and go do all these different events and things, you know? And yet when we got down there, it was only a couple days in that one of the other kids around our age, she got like meningitis or something. Oh no. And yeah. Oh no. And the, and, and the thing is right before this, I had just seen, shouldn't have seen it. I was, a, I was in fourth grade going to fifth grade at this point, but I saw the movie pet cemetery. We had just rented yeah. pet cemetery because we once we rented a lot of movies. So of course, whatever had come out five or five or six months earlier was what we were watching on video. And in that film, I don't know if you remember the character, um, the, 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 um, sister uh, the the mother sister zelda who's yep. in 
the back room, and in the old film, and a spinal meningitis she has now. It was also several years back, so she's all twisted and contorted, but I'm only hearing the word meningitis. So I spend about 70% of that trip worried that my spine is going to be contorted and I'm going to be this loathsome thing. And as soon as I get back from vacation, family's going to have to put me in the back room and never speak to me again. And, uh, but we all got sick. So we were all stuck inside for the space of this week. And so we just played Nintendo basically nonstop. And I remember coming back that the rest of that summer, my parents weren't in a place where like, Oh, we can't buy Nintendo right now. Um, but we rented Nintendos from like, you know, the nearby video store. The nearby video store. Yeah. 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 So we did that for a little bit. Then um, uh, at the time, uh, th- then it wasn't that long. I think before the end of summer, we had one too. But I remember renting the Nintendo. You could rent the gun. You could rent a couple games. Yep. And uh, Nintendo was probably one of my bigger memories from that. Outside, you know, and I don't know if it happened in the winter, but we had a lot of stuff going on, though, that year. You know, I remember, I do remember, it's one of the first years I really became aware of the outside world in terms of news, you know what I mean? Seeing the mm. Berlin Wall come down, yes. seeing Tiananmen Square on TV, seeing these things popping in between your Saturday morning cartoons, becoming much more cognizantly aware of that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. And, and you know, when you when you bring up Nintendo, I remember very clearly um, we, we did the same thing. We probably for that first year, we would rent one occasionally. We didn't have... Uh, like you guys, we didn't have the money to go out and buy it, but we would, you know, every couple months we would go out and rent one and a couple games. And so I remember, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Mario and, uh, you know, all the classics just, uh, sitting there and, and playing those. And, you know, when a weekend would come around and, you know, every weekend, dad, can we rent Nintendo? No, no, we can't rent one this weekend. Okay. But, you know, the weekends where we could, it was like, yes. And then my Do you remember brother, like trying to like siphon money out of the couch or wherever you could yes, find it to like yes. hoard enough for the dollar, whatever the price was to rent the cartridges? Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, just going around every little penny we could scrape and, and get together. Um, yeah, I remember then, doing that when like DuckTales or something came out. Yes, um, yes, going like, to those video stores. Yes. yes. Yeah, I remember, you know, walking in and, and you know, you had uh, – I remember when, when – the videos went up to a $2 rental for the new releases, but the, the old releases were still 99 cents. And so, you know, you have the different color stickers. Yes. Like yes. Green and the yellow and red to indicate the prices. Yeah. Yep. Funny. Yep. So yeah, such a, such a great time and such a fun experience going back into, into that mindset and, you know, just, just really experiencing, uh, life carefree at that point in time. I mean, you know, I go back and think about eight but year old But you thought you had spinal and, meningitis. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. But no, no, I, I hear you. Yeah. You know, just, just having that. I, I remember the summer is just the possibilities. You know, you get and finish up school and, and everything that you could potentially do during those times. And I, I, I remember, you know, literally just going out and playing for hours and ha- you know, coming back in and, and this was, this was on the weekdays, you know, and then the weekends we still maintained our family routines. We would do our pizza night on Friday night and we would go to the video store and we would, we would rent videos and come back and just, just all those fun memories and, uh, spent a lot of time at the pool. I remember things like that and out, we would just go out and just be out in the, 
you know, where we live, we could go right back into the woods behind our house. So we yes. spent a lot of time doing that. Yes. When we, when we finally moved, we were able to do that, uh, you know, the woods of Loudon. But before then, I mean, I remember even the neighborhood I, you know, grew up in, you know, we always called it the horseshoe neighborhood because, you know, the road went in and came out the other side and, um, you know, there were several children. And so we would get together and, you know, build our forts and, you know, do different things like that. And, and so, you know, always at somebody's house doing something. So, you know, just again, that, those fun memories and the possibilities. And then, you know, you grow up and you start your work and it's like, oh, summers don't quite have the same ring and meaning that they used to. But I find that I still enjoy the the freedom and, again, that possibility of what it could hold. Um, and I think part of that is due, you know, the, the movie industries continue to turn out. Uh, you yes, know, exactly. course, I used to for, feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> Except for what we're running into now, but you know the big blockbuster releases. I remember, I remember even a couple years ago, Joy and I were making lists of of all the movies that we wanted to see over the summer and get caught up on, and you know we would just run through our list and okay, we're going to go and see this one and this one and this one and this one and um and and so you know to me like that's really what you know this this feeling of nostalgia and looking back reminds me of and, and brings me to. Yeah. And I think particularly like we're talking 89 and, and years like that, it's a very different experience than my kids will have at all. You know, we talk about the video store. That's an experience uh, that we, we don't, that my kids don't quite have a context for. Right. You know, that was almost like a whole evening there and if you didn't find the movie you were looking for sometimes it could be longer you know we might go yes. to a couple places remember my dad and i we would go we would get the movie we would swing by but we did a lot because again we weren't like big you know because of budget and stuff we didn't necessarily eat out a lot mm-hmm. but what we would do is we would go to like the grocery store and get those like pizzas that yes. like it was basically like um the, the quality of the pizza was probably not much more than cardboard right. itself but you you would get those um the big the big wheels that you would then come with a package of sauce and a package of cheese. That would be one. They'd have the chef, oh, the chef RD ones <laughs> in a box. That was a different kind of experience too. We always liked one called Tony's. It was a refrigerated. Yes. Pizza. Yep. And I always thought those were actually halfway decent. Um, they had a kind of a crackery crust. We would do stuff like that later when Taco Bell showed up in like the, like the Taco Bell little Caesars did change it for us because that was actually fast food that my parents were cool with. Like, cause you could buy a whole bunch of it right at one time. You yes. could get like two or three pizzas for like 15 bucks or you could yes. get like, 39 tacos for for whatever (laughs) and uh, have like two cases of tacos so once little caesars and taco bell were around that would almost become a a weekend tradition too we would have the something like that and we'd grab a couple videos and uh, or and 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 nintendo games at that point so yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah It, it is it's just it's it's thinking back into into your childhood and 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 as much as you can wanting to preserve some of that as well you know it's it bringing your children into some of those experiences like you said Nathan they can't necessarily experience the 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 going to the movie theater but you know thankfully we still have a drive-in theater here and so you can you can bring that experience Yeah we to just them. did it last weekend it was a ton of fun Yeah how so, how so was good. it seeing it Honestly their I feel eyes. like I just want to go every uh week now weekend Well because one thing you can go 
you know, it ends up being about 45 bucks or something, but like that's cheaper than when we would go out to dinner or something like that, or even could be not that more, much more expensive than taking everyone out to a movie yes. with snacks and everything. And when I say 40, so it's about $30 to get in at, for the four of us to get in. And then it was an additional, um, you paid like 50, some people are like, Ugh, but you pay $15 to get like a permit to bring in any kind of food would you want no oh, alcohol yeah. but food and drinks yeah. and i mean that was definitely worth it because it was pretty hot last weekend but i'll tell you what the social distanced drive-in i haven't been to benji's actually it's the first time i've ever been to benji's uh which is the drive-in near us and they're they tout i guess that it has the biggest screen in the u.s yeah. i know there are bigger drive-ins outside of the u.s but it's a pretty pretty big screen and the go there when we got there the spaces were extended because of the COVID situation. So I think you have really about two spaces worth now to sit in. And so it was hot to begin with, but I took a cooler packed full of ice, enough Mm -hmm. ice that stuff was still cold in it, you know, two days later when I still hadn't emptied it. Um, (laughs) But enough ice, you know, I picked, paid like $3 and and dump a couple, uh, you know, um, 20 pounds or whatever of ice in there. And then just, Put in cold drinks, cold, uh, and to keep to get to keep the kids up. I put some sodas in there, some yeah. uh, some freezy pops and stuff like that. And then we got we actually swung by, you know, no surprise there, Taco Bell, yes, <laughs> and grabbed yes. some tacos and stuff to to complete the nostalgia. And then we headed out there. And the thing is, you go in there, they had it, they had it running like a well-oiled machine. You get in there, you get your stuff, you bring your radio, and we could put all our chairs out. We had made the back of the van. We put the back on and we could open up the back. Yep. And as long as we had it bungeed so it didn't stick way up, you were fine. And then we just put like a bed down on the back for the kids so they could go to sleep if they needed to. Johnny was so charged he didn't. Izzy went to sleep. But <laughs> we – um yeah, we had a lot of fun doing that. We, they were showing Jaws and Jurassic Park. And so Johnny, he had been with to see Jaws last year, like I, I mentioned last weekend. Yep. But he really enjoyed it. Again, he got really into it. And he was like, of course, he'd seen it now. So he's like, shoot the tank. Shoot the tank. <laughs> At the end, he's standing there. But uh, Jurassic Park came on. It didn't start till about 1145, but he was still up. He, we ended up leaving before it ended just because I was getting to that point where I was nodding off. And I'm like, dude, I, I got to right. We're only 15 minutes away, but I still got to be able to drive home. So we left um, towards the end. It was at the point when the Raptors had gotten loose. And we have the movie at home, so we watch it on the projector at home. But, and Izzy was out like 20 minutes into Jaws. Right. Again, she could just crawl back up into the van and go to sleep. But we had been there since about like – seven o'clock you know yes and the movie doesn't start until almost nine so you kids are outside you're outside you're not close to people the weather again the weather was probably as about as bad as you'd want to be and it still felt relatively nice it wasn't it wasn't impressive to sit outside in it again we had cold drinks and stuff we sit there we could spend time with the kids and hang out and the kids could sit there and do whatever they wanted to do while we were waiting for the movie to start. And then, you know, we had dinner out there. And so it's just a nice experience. So it almost doesn't matter in a sense what's playing. I know this weekend they're playing um, Field of Dreams and League of Their Own. Yes. Um, and even as not the world's biggest baseball fan, I'm still sort of like, yeah, maybe they're good movie, you know? Right. So um, I know they were showing trailers. They showed trailers for Mulan and they showed trailers for uh, Tenet and, um, and a movie called First Cow. <laughs> <laughs> which is a, which is an indie film that I really thought looked kind of nice. I don't know if it's a drive-in, which you'd normally associate with a drive-in, but a really fun time. I think the drive-ins are kind of a great way to to connect with. Um, they, they're just fun, and I hadn't been in a very long time. Yeah. Um, but we, hey, man, you ready to go ahead? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, particularly Benji's. One of the things that 
they, they've done in the past. They weren't able to do it because they weren't quite open yet due to COVID. But what they will typically do is on Memorial Day weekend and Labor Day weekend, they do their dusk till dawn. And so they'll do four or five movies and they'll just run all night. And so it'll, you know, as soon as the sun starts to set, they'll start. And then when the sun starts to rise, they'll end. And they just run through the movies and they run through classic cartoons on the in-between. And, you know, when you're talking about, you know, paying to bring food into the theater, $15 really is nothing when you're, when you think about what you would drop at the concessions anyway to feed four Because people. technically speaking, you can bring whatever you yeah. want in. You oh, give yeah. them that thing. Meaning if I – you know, we do Kentucky Bell, but if my wife had made sandwiches yeah. or if we had a steaming yeah. hot lasagna, I don't, have to, yeah. I don't want to think about that. But, you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. you wanted to bring in, the steaming hot lasagna might be better because I think they're going to – I think they're going to stay open as. I bet you that the drive-ins try to stay open as long as they can. And he was the the kind of cool part too is the guy, and he's a character. Oh yes. Um, he talks. He doesn't talk through the movie, but he talks while before the movie starts, and it's playing old like fifties and sixties music on the radio yep. channel before the movie starts. And he pops in about twenty minutes before the movie starts and just talks to you a little bit. And he talks in between, and he talks the trailers, and it's funny because it's like that person. And like when you were a kid or even now, you know, you see a movie trailer, you want to show somebody the trailer yeah. and you're all excited and you're like, okay, guys, watch this. And he doesn't want anybody leaving in the middle of the trailers so that the lights aren't spoiling because he wants them to see the trailers. So it's that part's kind of fun too because he's on the loudspeaker and it sounds like a little kid who wants to show you this movie trailer. It's like, do you guys, would you guys watch this movie? Flash your lights. So, I mean, all yes. that stuff is a lot of fun too. But um, he did. He did allude to the fact. He's like, I really the fall. Wait till the fall comes. It's you know, then it gets dark earlier. I could show you like three movies before you have to leave. So yes, yeah, yeah. And you know, like you were about to say, Nathan, we're you know, so we're talking about movies, reminiscing, and and we're specifically going to focus on summer of '89. And I, Nathan, I just the movie that comes to your mind when you think of 1989. What is it? So I think definitely you can't get away from the fact that in 89, we didn't really have the comic book movie was in a place. I think we maybe just had Superman four and it was floundering. (laughs) So, I mean, you've got it coming. Here's a point where you're going to bring back a classic character of which has been on the screen before in, in various forms. It's a, it's a DC character. There's, you know, kind of comes out of nowhere and man i was so excited for the return of swamp thing i can barely contain myself <laughs> so <laughs> dude you were gonna talk about it <laughs> oh man so <laughs> i'm gonna talk about it i'm totally gonna talk about return of swamp thing do it um, do it so Yes, and I mentioned this. Uh, the way I have this set up, and, and Nathan, you probably have the same. I brought up num- uh, num- the numbers.com. It's a really cool website because all the movies that come out are kind of there, and you can go back into previous years. So it'll show when the movie came out, how much money it grossed, and it's cool because you can bring up the release schedule and you can see everything. So that's what I did, and I kind of started with May because it's 89. I don't remember exactly. That I, obviously, that bit I just did, there are movies we clearly remember came out. And then there are movies that we don't remember came out, and Return of Swamp Thing turns out to be one of those movies. However, I do want to talk about it because I do enjoy this movie, and and it's horrible. And not long ago, I showed it to my kids, 
Uh, because it is a, it the original. I think I don't know if the original is PG or not. But Wes Craven, a horror director, made the first yes. movie. Adrian Barbeau was in it. Ray uh, Ray Wise played the character before he became Swamp Thing when he was um, uh, the the professor. And then uh, Louis Jordan was Anton Arcane, who is the nemesis of Swamp Thing. And it was kind of a fun movie. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was halfway between a schlocky fifties horror movie yep. and a superhero movie. And of course, superhero movies are very different then. And Wes Craven did the first movie. Jim Wynorski. <laughs> I'm saying nothing mean about Jim. I'm friends with him on Facebook. He's a he is a schlockmeister, unapologetically so. He did an old movie called Chopping Mall, which featured killer robots. It was all I think the alternate title was Killbots. So he's got a ton of stuff. You can look at his his IMDb synopsis. You see, he's a different uh, he's a different caliber of filmmaker yeah. than. <laughs> Than Wes, Wes Craven. <laughs> but he kind of goes full bore with the goofiness. This is one of my favorite bad movies because the special effects are ridiculous. But the movie still opens up with this comic book pastiche where you're seeing actual frames of the Swamp Thing comic book while Born on the Bayou by Creed's Clearwater is playing on the soundtrack. <laughs> yes. And, I mean, you've got the worst rubber monsters ever. Dick Durek, who plays Swamp Thing, has a lot of really goofy one-liners. Heather Locklear is in the movie. Her best line is are you a vegetable? To which he looks at her and says, yes. <laughs> and Louis Jordan's going crazy. Sarah Douglas, who played one of the villains in Superman 2, is in this movie. Um, it is goofy nonsense, and I loved every minute of it. It is complete junk. I believe it is on Amazon Prime, but it also has that fun thing. I, lo- I just For a fun comic book movie. The thing to remember, though, too, is this is kind of where comic book movies were before this big movie that comes out in yeah. in June, you know, they yeah. weren't getting top number, even for a movie that was a success. Swamp Thing had been a success. Return of Swamp Thing is a quick cash in. Um, if you want something really funny, go look up the Siskel and Ebert review of this on YouTube because Ebert like loves it and gives it a thumbs up. And Siskel just stares at him waiting for the moment where Ebert says, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it never comes. And so I believe that review fades out with Siskel just looking at him, not not sure what he's supposed to say. That is too funny. But um, yes. Did you ever see this one? Uh, no, no, I did not see that one. <laughs> um, I saw I saw Swamp Thing, um, but no, I did not see Return of Swamp Thing. I, that would have been one. That would have been one that uh, had it made it to USA, kind of like um, Toxic Avenger. Oh, uh, it did make it to. Oh, USA. did it? Did it? Well, I, it, it not only did it make it to USA. USA. This is a whole different topic. USA had a Swamp Thing TV show as a result of this movie. Oh, I do um, remember that. Yes, the late 80s. Because remember, it was part yes. of a lineup of shows. I'm going to get. I'm, I'm derailing myself from my derailment, but. Uh, they had like the Hitchhiker, Alfred yes. Hitchcock Hour, Ray Bradbury Theater. Oh my gosh, that's an episode in and of itself. Oh, um, we I'll are definitely yes, we're definitely yes. doing USA sometime. Um, <laughs> Good grief! <laughs> I don't know about Up All Night, but but Turner Swamp Thing would have been right either on Up All Night or right above it. But it is a PG movie. When yeah. I showed it to my kids, the old the, the thing that I had to kind of stop and and like when I watched it beforehand that I kind of stopped and kind of, Oh kids, what's that? And fast forward a little bit. Wasn't anything particularly crazy, but it was, you got two little kids hanging out. What's the first thing to do? They go get a playboy and start looking at it. But these are like eight, nine year old children. I'm like, guys, <laughs> so I'm going to bypass that. But otherwise it's mostly, it's mostly fine. Right. Um, do you remember earth girls are easy? <laughs> yes. 
Oh my so, goodness! Yes, yes. So, um, these are all early May. So it's funny how it's funny how the lineup of movies is very different because now summer really does start in May, right? Like oh, a movie yeah. summer does start in May. Usually May fifth, you get the big one, and sometimes late April. But back then, I don't think anything really uh, started um, heating up until the the late um, late late May, right? Right. So, but the thing I remember about Earth Girls Are Easy, which was a goofy movie, but about a couple of aliens that come to Earth to like hook up or go on dates, and they run into uh, yeah, what, I think a hap a hapless bachelorette played by Gina Davis. Yeah, and Jeff Goldblum uh, was one of the alien guys. Like, weren't they? Um, weren't they like so, furball? Like they were furry. They kind of look like Jim Carrey's The Grinch, and one of them yeah. was Jim Carrey. Yes. Um, in fact, that's the kind of funny thing, right, about a movie. This is 1989. It's funny what, what five or six years makes a difference, right? Because yeah. if this was 1995, this was Jeff Goldblum, it was uh, Jim Carrey, and it was Damon Wayans. Yes. And again, then, and, and Gina Davis, and all th- four of these people, you know, that would have been a big summer, that would have been a big summer movie. This is just some goofball lark, and nobody really knows. I mean, people know who Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum were mostly because of The Fly, right? right? Yeah. Um, before this, but. Uh, I don't really remember a lot about this movie, but I wanted to mention it because I saw it and I like I remember those three guys. And at some point, they shave their fur off and they look like Jeff Goldblum, Jim Carrey, right. and you know, suddenly everything's fine, <laughs> as fine as it can be when Jeff Goldblum is what's underneath all the fur. Right, right. But <laughs> you go from making the fly to making Earth Girls are easy. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have the list up? Is there anything from May that strikes your fancy there? Um, I fear we could do it like that if you're cool with it. I don't have um, I don't have that particular list up because I'm oh, running okay. two different machines here. So oh okay. Um, the one that I have up it were, were kind of the, the the more popular movies of of 1989. Oh. Yeah, so. I didn't go that route. <laughs> <laughs> you just you went all out, baby, all out. I was holding that swamp thing in. I'm sorry. That. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, then what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and, and let you kind of run us through the months, and then I'll just chime in uh, based on what sure. You're I can hearing. mention movies, and I'll just pause. We can talk yeah. about it if you want. Um, I won't mention all of them, but another movie that I recognize on this list is this was May 12th when the movies came out. It's See No Evil, Hear No Evil, which was Richard yes, Pryor. Richard Pryor, and- Gene Wilder. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> who and I don't who was the director ahead. on that one I don't know because honestly I'm looking at like I remember seeing it and I don't know that it was one of their better movies um I don't think it was uh it was kind of later towards the end of their um their their pair up I remember too it was kind of weird because it was a lot of like jokes at the expense of the deaf and the blind right uh, <laughs> So well, and that's but, um, like part of what I'm thinking is Mel Brooks, but it doesn't feel like a Mel. It was Brooks not movie. Mel Brooks. It okay. wasn't. I, I know it wasn't Mel Brooks, but I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't know. Again, at this point, it was kind of what you were doing: just grab a bunch of car- uh, actors that had worked well in, in before, and you put them together. So if you go to May 19th, there's a there's a one movie I'm sure stands out for some people. Um, one of the ones I see is Fright Night Part Two. I loved. Fright Night, the original. Did you ever see that Vampire Next Door? No, I'm familiar uh, with it, but I did not see it. It was fun. Fright Night Part 2 was also fun. It wasn't as good. I didn't see it at the theater, obviously. I saw it later when it was on video. Um, But it was a fun movie, and I was excited for it. I remember that uh, some of these movies – the other thing about the video store, I don't know if you remember if you ever partook in this. But after they would take their posters down, they would roll them up and put them in a big – like like tub yes. over in the corner of the video store. And you could, we had a mom and pop shop and they did that. And you could go in and just take the posters. Yep. So I had the poster for fright night part two. And uh, I think 
uh, Deep Star Six and Lords of the Deep and all these cheesy movies no one's ever heard of hanging on my wall. Nice. Uh, back in the in, in in the ninth grade. Uh, how about Roadhouse? Oh yes, Patrick Swayze, baby. <laughs> Patrick oh, Swayze. My goodness. That is just classic right there. Classic. Sam Elliott was in that one too, right? He is was. Yeah, he had a of? couple yeah. different people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Elliott and um, and it's just ridiculous. But it's that fun kind of ridiculous. It's hard not to like get into that movie. I feel like it became one of those TBS classics, yes. you know, that everybody had seen. I despise Dirty Dancing, but I love Roadhouse. Yeah. I feel like they TBS of me. used to do Roadhouse marathons. Like you, they would just they would play back to back to back. Yeah, they could have also just been playing a lot of Patrick Swayze movies from that era, and it would just seem <laughs> like you were playing Roadhouse back to back. Oh. Um, but Roadhouse, I do. Is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Roadhouse is. I think it's. I can't remember the full story, but I think it's Roadhouse that uh, one of uh, Patrick Swayze used to complain because Bill Murray and or some of his brothers would continually call um, uh, call him up or you know call who is it? Uh, Kelly Lynch is the is the lady in the movie is the, is his like love, love interest, interest right, in that right. movie. And I can't remember who it is that she is married to, but um, whoever she was married to time, Bill Murray would call, call him up or some of his brothers would call him up and say, Hey, Roadhouse is on TV right now. And Patrick Swayze is making love to your wife. <laughs> and then, then I would just, <laughs> then they'd hang up. Oh, <laughs> Great Hollywood pranks. Yeah. Anyway, how about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Oh my goodness! I mean, possibly you know, arguably the best in the Indiana Jones series. Um, I mean, you know, what really can you say about it? Like it, it gives you some of his origin story, which was fun, and you know, they bring in Sean Connery. I mean, he's still you know kicking the snot out of Nazis. Um, but it was just, it was such a fun movie. And at that time it was, it was announced that like they, they were done. They weren't going to be doing anymore. So you, this was kind of the closure to everything in there. Um, and, and brings the story around. I mean, you, you've got the first one, which was, um, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, such a fun one. They, they threw Temple of, uh, Doom in there, um, which was, which was really weird in, in what caused the film industry to create the PG 13 rating. Um, that one in gremlins. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like kind of the one, two punch of those in the summer of 84. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you come back with, uh, th- this is to me, this is indie being indie, you know, t- temple of doom just kind of, it's in there and, and it, it just it never really fit for me where where this was such um the classic adventure story and it hit all of the right places um as being indiana jones yeah well i think the thing with uh, temple of doom i like it but i don't like it as much as raiders nor do i like it as much as this movie but i think a lot of the problems that people have with it was it was first off it was much darker right yeah like uh yes the end of raiders is pretty dark 
but it doesn't quite go to the places the Temple of Doom does on a regular basis. I mean, right. as a kid, it's like that dinner scene is gruesome and weird, and the whole movie is, like you said, a little weird. The love interest is grating, you know. Yeah. Um, like the kids like short round and all, but again, it's this weird part of where in some ways it's become more juvenile and in other ways it's become much darker. And I think the thing that is true and yes, uh, temple of doom is supposed to take place before Raiders of lost Ark, but you kind of lose the warmth of the storytelling that was in Raiders, you know, still the lost the sense of Indy as a character. He became a little bit more of a cliche, I think. Yeah. In, yeah. in that movie, in terms of, he's just like the pulpy adventure. I think I stated somewhere, Probably, I think when you and I talked Star Wars a while back, that when if you look at Lucas, like the prequels and things like that, sometimes you get the feeling that those are the movies Lucas always would have made if he could have made them. You know, right. they are the unrestrained memories he has of the pulpy stuff he watched growing up, and that's kind of what I thought uh, Temple of Doom was. That was sort of Lucas pushing aside a lot of like the storytelling skill that that. Um, Spielberg brought into it and not that Lucas doesn't have his own skill, but that he kind of wanted it to be very close to pulp. You know, yeah. I don't know if you remember, there were movies around the same time, the remakes of King Solomon's minds. Yes. Yeah. If you ever saw those movies, there was King yep. Solomon and the lost city of gold or Alan Quartermain, the lost city of gold, excuse me. Yep. And those movies are kind of trashy. They're like uh Canon films, I believe. And uh, right. they are, they're goofy. Sharon Stone was in them. And I think uh, Richard Chamberlain, but they, the tone of Temple of Doom is closer to those movies than it is like what they ended up getting in Raiders. So in this movie, they go. I think Spielberg is specifically trying to hone in on that that warmth or development of the character of Indiana Jones, and so that idea to pair him with the father. And of course, at this point, you know, for some of us kids who aren't that familiar with Sean Connery, you might be thinking other sort. You know, oh, this is Sean Connery from this or that, but he clearly would have been Indiana Jones for everybody else, right? We learn, mm-hmm. we learn out, we learn not. Sorry. He clearly would have been James Bond for right, everybody. Right, right, for everybody. That's watching, what I meant yeah. to say. So it's like the idea is James Bond is Indiana Jones's dad. It makes a certain kind of sense, right? Yeah. Except that when he you introduced him in the movie, and he is older, he isn't James Bond, right? Right. He's a bookish type, and that's kind of the genius of the Connery performance is. Uh, he plays the character very well. He plays the character like the man that actually would be Indiana Jones's father. And so initially, you don't get that feeling. It doesn't feel like, oh, here's James Bond and Indiana Jones, two of these guys that are going to come in and kick ass. You know, it's um, it's different in that respect. And I like, I think Sean Connery's the thing that brings a lot of the warmth to the movie. Yes. Uh, and a lot of the event, and the adventure scenes are really fun. It isn't as good as Raiders. It also kind of goes back to that idea of looking for this artifact that has some, um, you know, kind of spiritual significance that wasn't as prevalent in the last movie. So you go back to it in this movie and yeah, this is probably one of my favorites of the summer. And honestly, some of the bigger ones that came out this same summer, I think when I saw them all, because I caught them all on video, right, that this was the one that made the biggest impact with me and was the most excited, I think, to see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, truly like, um, so just real quick side, Batman came out. It was the fall, correct? Of no, 89? Batman. We're coming. We're coming up on Batman in a couple. Uh, it Batman is literally a month, like a day short of a month released from when from Indiana, Indiana Jones last Jones. Day okay. comes out. So okay. it comes out in June, like towards the end of June, June twenty third. So okay. May twenty fourth is so. Like I said, we're getting right into that right before um, Memorial Day, and I think for all intents and purposes, all those other movies we mentioned are just like. 
they would be like late spring fodder, right? Indiana sure. Jones and the Last Crusade is the is the first summer picture that the studios that, are throwing their money behind. Yeah, that that huge blockbuster. I mean, again, you've got you've got Spielberg and Lucas coming up, you know, and and tag teaming this one. And you know, when you're talking about names in the '80s, I mean, you know, who are you going to get that's better than that at this point? Um, in terms of, you know, when you want to see an action adventure movie, that's, that's who you're going to go to. And so, um, yeah. And this was 89 and in the fall, this is an interesting point because of the relationship that starts happening between video and movies is the fall, like October of 1988, I'm pretty certain. Um, and maybe it was even later than that, but I think it was October of 88. That's when E.T. was released on VHS. Mm. So you just would have had – it either is released or it's just about to get released. It's finally released on VHS. So, And you've got um, Spielberg coming off of – I think he came off, was coming off of um, – what was it? Was it maybe uh, Empire of the Sun or something at this mm. point? So he had done – he had taken a break between his bigger action pictures yeah. and – the movies that have been coming out were coming out movies that Spielberg was mostly producer on. So this was his kind of big return to those movies that, um, you know, the last big one he had made of an adventure style movie was probably uh, Temple of Doom. Right. So. Right. And I, I mean, I can remember, you know, all these movies coming out, you know, uh, E.T., not the extraterrestrial, but entertainment um, entertainment tonight. Oh, the, would, yeah. I forgot you know, all I'm, about entertainment tonight. That I, was another one. They would have the little clips. Yeah. They would have the clips and you know, they would be doing the little mini interviews with the directors. And I remember this one specifically, they had a longer special with Lucas and Spielberg. And so I remember, you know, being glued to the TV, watching this special with the extended clip and yeah, getting get more of it. Could. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did the same thing with Batman. I remember that because you, those days for us, it was like, we knew everything about how it was made beforehand which is still probably kind of true these days but because all i would have months until the v the vhs was released was these clips that they would show on television it's why yes. i watched Cisco niebert it's why i watched these uh or they'd have those long fx shows yes. um so let's move into june uh there's a couple movie there's another movie i think pink cadillac which was a uh, uh Clint Eastwood movie that I don't think yes. was the hit they expected it to be, kind of a comedy. Uh, but June has June second comes out, and you have Dead Poet Society, mm. which um, have you seen that one? Uh, yes, I have. Not uh, Ron Williams. Yeah, it's, not it's not, not one of my, my favorites. Favorite. Yeah, yeah. I know there's a lot of people who do like it. I think it is a decent movie. It's a good movie, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily. Uh, I also don't necessarily put it as one of my favorites. It's uh, Rob Williams. It does give a good performance in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, again, probably that's the kind of summer movie for adults, right? Like it was yes. a drama that was pitched at adults. Yes. Um, he does give a good performance. It is worth seeing. I can't remember. I think that might be the director, Peter, where he's one of my favorite directors. That's not one of my favorite movies. Uh, that same, that same release date. You had no holds barred. Do <laughs> you remember <laughs> that? That was the yes. Paul Kogan and tiny Lister yep. jr. Uh, who you later see as the president of the Federated Galaxies and Fifth Element. Fifth Element, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who did he play? Zeus or somebody? Yes. In this one? And, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember seeing this movie and I remember, but um, yeah. And then there, <laughs> there was a really weird, I'm going to be covering it on Phantom Galaxy. There's a really weird movie that came out the same date uh, with Nicolas Cage called The Vampire's Kiss. 
And I you don't vaguely remember that, but I don't think I ever saw it. Yeah, and I thought I was thinking I was remembering it wrong because I was remembering it as this comedy. And I, I also tend to think I, and I don't know why I thought this. I love the movie Raising Arizona. I don't know if you saw it. It was a couple of years earlier with mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage, and he's definitely yep. a weirdo in that. But I always had this impression that Nicolas Cage was a very good actor in the like. 80s and then the 90s and then he kind of goes off the rails right like that's always the perception at least was my perception and vampires kiss will prove to you that Nicolas cage was off the rails from the minute from the (laughs) word go because he is weirder in this movie than he is in anything he's done after he is more unrestrained in this movie than i've seen him in anything there's a scene where he's got fake vampire teeth in his mouth running down the street screaming in a weirdo pseudo european lisp I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. And it's a, it's like, it's shot completely seriously. It's something to see. Um, Vampire's Kiss. It's on Amazon Prime now. I have a, you may want to listen to our review of it before you, uh, on Phantom Galaxy, before you, before you go actually and watch, watch it. it. But um, that's a weirdo one. June 9th. Did, so here's these, here's this example, right? We talked about how some of the big movies or the big franchises aren't getting as much money behind them, but they're still getting big dates, you know, to compete with the other movies. So you got, Indiana Jones comes out. You got Ghostbusters 2 is about to hit, right? Yeah. Everyone's excited about Batman. And in the middle of this, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, <laughs> another big heavy hitter. And William Shatner is directing. What could possibly <laughs> wah, go wah, wrong? Wah. <laughs> uh, everything. <laughs> right. And it's, it's funny because I don't think of it like – I always think of Star Trek as a movie you release in the winter, right? Like, yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, later the J.J. Abrams um, reboot, which was all very right. action-driven, yeah, that became a summer movie, and we had three of those in the summers. Yep. But, the, you know, it was a different time because Star Trek II was a summer picture, and, and some of these movies were summer movies. But Star Trek V, I mean, we've talked about it in the past. It's not a good movie. Yeah. And it looks – and it's shabby in comparison to these other other movies. So – Anything you want to add on that one? I, I, go go listen to the podcast we did on Star Trek if you want yeah, to hear my I thoughts on it. I just remember they saying, row, row, row your boat at <laughs> <Yeah>. the opening. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. Let's talk Ghostbusters 2. Oh, man. that it, Again, it's such it, – they did a good job at bringing the characters back and expanding the universe, expanding the story. Um, I, you know, I was, uh, I, I love Ghostbusters too. I mean, they're, they're the one, two punch for me. I can put the first one in and watch it and then put the second one in and watch it. Um, they added that whole, uh, you know, oozy component where, you know, they're playing the music to it and it's bopping and beeping around and, uh, you know, then they cover the Statue of Liberty to get it, you know, moving and, and going. Like for me, it was just it's a fun story that that builds the characters from the first one. You know, you're getting exactly what you want to see from the characters. Um, you know, you've got Rick Moranis who comes back as, you know, the the kind of nerdy guy. And, you know, I love watching him with his little ear warmers running down New York like you know, ready to hit the art museum with the proton pack. And, um, you know, it, it just, it, to me, it delivers and it was not, it's not the disappointing sequels that, um, we've come to expect from so many franchises. Well, it's funny you say that, and this has nothing to do with how I feel about the movie, but it's funny you say that because 
in 89, this was it, like you were saying entertainment tonight. And I, this is probably the first time I became aware of like, Oh, I could pick up the newspaper mm-hmm. and read reviews. And, and I was getting everything I could get. And I distinctly remember, not just from the, from the, from the reviews and the review shows, uh, including Siskel and Ebert, but also from people who I knew who had gone to see it. I think what happens is this movie comes out on June 16th. Batman comes out on June 23rd. So back in the day, these movies stay out a lot longer, right? So yes. like essentially you're releasing them at the same time. These days, it's got the big weekend and then it gets its thing and then the next weekend. But this, for, for all intents and purposes, Ghostbusters 2 and Batman are released at the same exact time. You know, right. They're going head to head. And they're, and they're and, here to stay for a number of, yeah. of weeks. And Ghostbusters 2, which is still a hit, it makes $200 million some dollars. Uh, Batman was a, a, was, was a kind of a, a flash bomb, though. You know what I mean? That was yes. not necessarily expected. But Ghostbusters 2, I distinctly remember it being a quote-unquote disappointment. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't see the movie until the next Thanksgiving. That's when it came out on VHS. Yep. And I remember seeing it then and loving it. Um, yeah. And it did give me all the things. And I, like, if I'm honest, and we'll get to this in a minute, and I've talked about this fast. Initially, when I saw both Ghostbusters 2 and Batman on VHS after all the hype was done, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, kind of think I like Ghostbusters 2 better. <laughs> I mean, again, that was at the time, it was partially because I love the Ghostbusters characters, but this was considered a disappointment. And right. it was the first time I remember being a kid and realizing that people acknowledged that, that like, oh, Ghostbusters 2 really isn't all that good. And I think it was maybe the, the weight of the expectations. Mm-hmm. The movie the, – the second story is weird. 80s sequels were very weird with mm-hmm. what they chose to do. Like yeah. it seems like you just get another big uh, cosmic otherworldly villain like uh, Zool and mm-hmm. then you go for it. But instead you've got this creepy painting. Right Now the painting I, – I think all that sounds funny where you have um, – uh, Vigo, right, and uh, Peter McNichol doing the yes. "Command to Me, Lord" yes. little, you know, I like. Hey, he's one of my favorite parts of that movie. Oh yeah. But then you have these complexities that are probably unnecessary of this like um, empathetic ooze, you know, yeah. that's down in yeah. the the sewer systems, and these things are cool, but it feels like there's a lot of work that goes into this story that doesn't really it just makes it kind of more convoluted than it makes it like strong but then you got bill murray you have sigourney weaver and all their chemistry together and you have all these guys and their chemistry together mm-hmm. and all of that stuff still makes it work and like you say they expand the stuff with um with uh annie potts and with rick moranis and they have more things to do and by the time you get with the statue of liberty it's just a fun time and it's so weird to me that we, they weren't able to figure out Ghostbusters three, you know, yeah, story wise. Yeah. We never, we never really did get Ghostbusters three. We got this other Ghostbusters. We have the new one that's coming out, but they were never able to kind of settle on Ghostbusters yeah. three. But I always like Ghostbusters two, uh, and I still like Ghostbusters two. And I agree with you; it's kind of a one-two punch. I'm getting ready to show my kids that one this summer. Nice uh, Ghostbusters two. Nice. That's but great. we do come now to Batman. Yes, and. June 23rd has two movies come out. One is Batman and one is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> well, so. let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Batman first um, because I actually I, – I really enjoy Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as well. I um, just recently saw that one on Disney Plus uh, not too long ago and, and to me, me it's I just, still – We just rewatched it. Yeah, yeah it's still it, – well, maybe we'll talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids first. Um, it's still – to me, yeah, Honey, I Shrunk it. the Kids still holds up. Like I, I still – I enjoy it. The – what they did with the the graphics and the special effects, it, it all still works. Um, and Particularly the the ride on the honeybees, yes, still very very cool. 
Yeah, and and it's and just the stop motion ants and everything. Yeah, I mean the the you know the the conflict between the parents uh, that's coming in and the neighbors and how they're all brought together and you know um, through this set of circumstances, you know it, it made even more. Um, I, I I don't know that they had this when you all went to um, when you Are all you went down to the Disney. cartoons. No, no, no. I was going to mention the um, the so down at Disney at what was Hollywood Studios, they actually had a section of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and so you go into this this forest that you could crawl around the little ant caves and. You oh, could sadly, they, I think that's either been gone or repurposed. Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, so the first time I went, which was I guess uh, six or seven years ago now, um, they they still had that, and so I remember spending time in there. And what they would do is every once in a while, you know, they would they would throw the sprinklers on, and so you you know you'd get soaking wet with you know the water, and so they they'd make it really feel like it. I loved all those old rides, uh, all those old like sets and everything for those things. It's it, um, they still had the Indiana Jones, uh, yes, the spectacular yep. going on, yeah. And it really like it brought it together, in my opinion. You know, like Disney did a fantastic job at at, at marketing and bringing all of these things together. And uh, let's talk about the cartoons because you're right; that was a part of the experience as well. Uh, the 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 little mini cartoons that they would show at the beginning of uh, the the movie, right? Because I think there was a Roger Rabbit related cartoon because Roger Rabbit had just come out the summer before this, yes. and that had been a huge hit for Touchstone uh, and Disney, which had released it. And I love Who Framed Roger, oh, yeah. Roger Rabbit. In fact, I probably love that movie more than most of the movies that came out this summer. Um, yeah. I just think that's such a neat. It was such a cool movie to me. It was like those revelatory things where you see it and you're like, Oh my gosh, why didn't anyone ever think of not, not just the fact it was humans and cartoons, but the fact it was a detective noir right. with cartoons and humans. Right. But yeah, wasn't it, wasn't that right? It was a, a Roger Rabbit cartoon that ran in front of this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Similar. Wasn't it a similar concept to what they were, what they were actually filming in Roger Rabbit? Yes. Before I think it, it basically is that yeah. before they, they, they reveal that the baby is like a little lecherous little right, uh, yeah. jerk with a cigar, <laughs> cigar sticking out of his yeah. mouth. Yes, I believe you're right. I think that because we watched it recently, and I believe you're right that the cartoon in before Honey or Shrunk the Kids is the cartoon that Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman or whatever are filming at the beginning of uh, beginning of Roger Rabbit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so that I liked it when Disney did that. They've gone back to do it well. One of the last movies I saw, the last movie I saw theater with the kids onward, had put a Simpsons cartoon at the very, the very start of their movie, and it reminded me of of that of that kind of thing. Yes. Um, yep. My quick thoughts on Honeyish. I like the movie a lot, and I like Rick Moranis in the movie. I also like uh, there's an actor in there who I never really got his. I mean, everybody has do, but I always feel like he kind of just stuff passed him by. Matt Frewer, I always thought was a kind of uh, he he plays the neighbor, the kind of. Uh, neighbor who's concerned why his son's not going fishing with him and isn't more manly yes. and that kind of yes. thing. And of course he was on TV as uh, Max Headroom was his thing. Yep. And he's been in several other movies too. And I always liked Matt Furrer. He'd never, you know, kind of missed the boat. He's a very specific kind of character actor. And, uh, but he's, he's fun in this movie. This movie I revisited recently because in the, uh, about the time that the, our quarantine and everything started here and everything started heating up with COVID-19. Um, 
unrelated to COVID-19, but I believe in March, uh, the director, Stuart Gordon, passed away. He was the guy who did movies like Robot Jocks and Reanimator yes. yep. and all of these most people associate him with horror films. And he had written the script for this movie, and it was originally going to be a cheapoid like Full Moon or Empire Productions movie made for a handful of money and released. And then he, and it was called something else. Um, uh, and he sold it to uh, – but that one had like kids possibly falling into the lawnmower and getting ground up. Right, so right. He, <laughs> then he managed to sell it to Disney. And after Disney had it, he, he got sick and he wasn't able to direct. And that's – Joe Johnston came in and did it, who later wanted to do The Rocketeer and Jurassic mm-hmm. Park 3 and Jumanji and all those movies. So you see how he could have had a very different career. And right. it's weird to think that the guy who directed Reanimator and all these horror films was going to direct Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But you can see a lot of his – his imprint on it because you know you do have those stop motion creatures and the yes. scorpion and you have the moments of like i was watching i was like oh wow there's some child empowerment here because the possibility is they get sucked up in the lumber there's a possibility that rick moranis accidentally eats his son for breakfast you right know, right those giant cheerios but um yeah I, I like the movie a lot so let's do batman yeah and uh, you know batman was one that you know didn't see until it came out um on vhs it and, was so hyped, right? So hyped. Yeah, and and I think I think this might have been part of it. Um, so eighty nine, you were what ten or eleven, Nathan? Yep, because I was going into the fifth grade. I was in the fifth grade when I saw the film. Yeah. Okay, so I was I was just a couple years younger than you um, when when I saw it, and to me, um, you know, grew up watching Superman the movie, watching. Um, you know, Superman two, of course, watch Superman three and four, which were, uh, you know, not, not great films by any stretch of the imagination. Um, if you can even call them films. Um, but I mean, they were shot on celluloid. Yeah. <laughs> weren't, weren't those, uh, well, I don't know about three, but four was a Canon film. Um, yeah. You, you, <laughs> look up, look up, um, comments that christopher reeves made about that movie it's very puts it very much in perspective he's not ju- he's dumping on it but he's he's just dumping on from a perspective like he realizes that it was basically a cash scheme that they were just moving money around right. and then superman becomes the victim of a cash scheme where here's all the money we we're going to put towards these movies but we're not going to put all, all the money everywhere so right. superman got much much less than, than they what it they was supposed get. to get yeah yeah, yeah. um but so so really I mean the, the Superman 2 was the last really well done superhero movie. Um and and I I really do. I I still Superman 2 is is great. Um particularly if you watch the Richard Donner cut um you know how it was intended to be seen uh Which we really, just did recently. Oh, yeah. did you? Yeah. yeah. Fun, you know. So Superman 1 and Superman 2 really they they're just a two part movie um when you when you're looking at it um and and so batman comes out and i really it's it's fascinating because you the michael keaton batman directed by tim burton takes the batman character in a completely different direction from what we had known before that because what we had known before that was the adam west bird war you know the pow swap um, and, and this actually, for the time, takes it in a darker direction, but it wasn't, it wasn't 
dark and creepy. It was just it, you know, this is this is probably in my opinion one of the more realistic superhero movies that we've seen even probably more so than than what we got with Superman and Superman 2. And there were several things that I felt like really worked with this. What was interesting was Michael Keaton, you know, was was mostly known for comedy, although he do, had done some drama and action and things like that, but was mostly known for comedy and Yeah, I, remember, I think he was almost he was really seen as a comedian and of course right. like Beetlejuice with Tim Burton was yes. the main thing that people were probably associating with. He had a couple other movies like The Dream Team, yes. Gung Ho, and stuff like that. But yep. I don't think they were seen as major movies. Correct, and and he comes out and and to me he delivers a spot on performance of both Bruce Wayne and Batman. And I, I can't remember if we've talked about this on this podcast before. I think that's where some of the some of the characters, in my opinion, have really struggled because I've enjoyed different iterations of Batman. I've enjoyed, enjoyed different iterations of Bruce Wayne, but but they've had the actors have had trouble pulling it together into you know one solid performance. And I felt like he really did a good job bringing the character of Batman and bringing the character of Bruce Wayne to life. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, Jack. Uh, Nicholson, who was uh, the Joker, and I thought he did a great performance as well. I mean, um, his character and the things that they did. I will say the one thing I felt like they shouldn't have done was try to give them a connection origin story that that fit them together in that world. But um, it, to me, it was it was just you know again you see superman and you see him flying on screen now you know i'm seeing batman on the screen and and him bringing that character to light character to life and and i really liked and enjoyed it yeah you're right we did do an episode of this i think over at, at phantom galaxy or pop culture ninja time that was that was Batman. Like we were reviewing the Lego Batman, but we were going back through the iterations of Batman. Yes. I should probably repost that at some point because the bat, uh, and I think I talked about there and historically I have been of the feeling, honestly, that I I was disappointed when it came out. I didn't dislike it. Um, there were lots of things I loved about it and I did like the movie and I continued to like it. And I, I, my esteem for it has really only grown over the years. And then the last time I think we spoke about it, it, I still was sort of like, eh, there's things I like about it and there's things I just – as a Batman movie, there's things I don't like about it. And I, I think between that point in time, I did end up taking my kids to the Senator Theater. They had a free comic book day and the kids dressed up as Batman and, and uh, Batgirl and everything. And we went to that movie and I saw it there at the Senator. And honestly, I think that was the one that really helped like change my mind and kind of realize, hey, no, you know what? This I I do really like it. It used to be I just appreciated it because of things it did. I do really like it. I, something you said that I think does make sense is the idea that like okay, Superman, you're right. You can see a man can fly. Now I would argue though that I think that the world of Superman, like the literal world he inhabits in the Christopher Reeve movies, the first two, are way more realistic than Batman. But I think the but I don't view that as a as a problem. To me, it wasn't just seeing Batman because we had seen you know Adam West and we've seen mm. you know okay Batman's in the costume. I get that his costume looks different, right? He's darker. It, right. it kind of looks like he's wearing a tire, but it's still pretty cool. And uh, but I don't think it's just that. It's not just seeing a man in a bat costume. It's that all of Gotham City 
has been imagined. So it's like mm. I'm seeing Gotham City, the world, come to life. The world, the, the, the noir comic book world mm. come to life in a way that's not exactly real. It's kind of German expressionist real. Like it looks like the set of an old universal horror movie, right? Like mm. in a yeah. way, yeah. except it kind of looks like a city, uh, uh, someone's idea of a city. It looks like a pulp writer's idea of a city, not an actual physical city, which Metropolis looked like New York City, right? Like yeah. this yeah. doesn't. This looks – wrong not wrong but it looks like a child's dream of new york city you know i went there once and this is how i remember it kind of deal at, at night and see but it's gotham city and so those things about it i absolutely love anton first was a production designer on that movie and he production designed the crap out of that movie mm-hmm. i mean that movie looks amazing and met and the thing that michael keaton does and i actually think he does it better in the second movie although he does it in both movies is he plays batman on a, in an, on a note that none of the other actors have done yet, which is he plays him a little crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. a little bit unhinged, not just, oh, I'm dark and I just look like bat. Not the, not the, the conundrums that Christian Bale had to face, but the fact that Batman may be a little bit psycho and he doesn't even realize that he's that way. Mm-hmm. There's a point, and it's all because of Michael Keaton. Like Michael Keaton is throwing in little bits of his own personality in the movie that people would have been able to look at it and say, oh, that's Michael Keaton. And I think that stuff works less with, Nicholson, honestly, because Nicholson to me is honestly, I know everyone loved him in it, but he's kind of the weak part because he's just Nicholson. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's kind of just Nicholson in it to the point that he starts eating up everything else that's happening. And it's fine. But it now these days, I, I think you could argue that that stuff has not aged as well. But there's a moment where Michael Keaton as Batman and or he's he's as Bruce Wayne at this moment. But. I can't remember if the bad guys know he's Batman or they're just trying to get a hold of him and they got Vicky Vale and they're at his mansion and uh, they're the Joker's goons. They're holding him at gunpoint and he, you know, he picks up one of the fireside pokers and starts smashing like a, a some of the vases in the area around with his poker. He's smashing the pieces and he's screaming something like, "You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts!" And it's just that moment where he shows a bit of unhingedness mm-hmm. that he doesn't really tap into that much when he's Batman and he doesn't always tap into Bruce Wayne. But you see little minute moments of it come out here, here in different places within the film, within the character. Now, usually when he is Bruce Wayne, you're never really sure, okay, is that an act? What's happening? And obviously I think that stuff is Michael Keaton's, right? Like that is Michael Keaton's behavior yeah. of the time. Like he was known for being ornery. That's kind of all Beetlejuice's stick. It's kind of overblown. It's manic. It's kind of aggressive. And – that kind of behavior is kind of what you'd expect from Michael Keaton. And so it's built into this character in that way. But I think what it does is underscores the idea that, yeah, Batman is a little unhinged. And I'm not sure that any of the other characters of the other portrayals of Batman have ever really tapped into that. Even Christian Bale, when you have these moments where he's, he's always kind of more thoughtful about it, right? He's always considering what these traumatic experiences have done to him and why he's doing the things he wants to do. And this is more like just something that's there yeah. and it rears its head. Yeah. And I think, so you've got the Michael Keaton laid on the Batman kind of does work it works i think even better in batman returns where you do get this feeling of like he's almost psychologically splintered in that movie and i like that a lot uh so i think that that's the element that really raises the movie up including all the production value stuff i've mentioned joker to me is jack nicholson just eating up everything around him as jack nicholson to me that doesn't work as well i actually think it's eight it was the main thing everybody was talking about right jack nicholson is the joker and he's not that he's not playing the joker but it's just way over the top and I think it, to me it's the least successful thing about the movie when you watch it now. It's still fun to watch, but it's not remotely in the same ballpark as, say, what uh, Jared Leto is doing 
not mm-hmm. <laughs> just kidding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go back I and mean, listen to our no, one on Batman to see uh, how no, he really no, feels no, about no. that. Not Jared Leto. I'm just kidding, guys. It's not mm-hmm. remotely close to what Heath Ledger and even Joaquin Phoenix are doing in these later movies. It's it, it's it's Jack Nicholson doing a slightly comic book version of himself right, or of the right. persona that he has played to that point. Uh, I think he, what works for it though is that. It, that is him, you know, like putting that character in, in something else, trying to get him to play another role. It, it wouldn't work, but because it's the right, Joker, people are excited because they want to see a Jack Nicholson Joker at the yeah, time in 1989. Yeah. That's what they wanted to see as a fan of the comic books I was watching. And yeah, he's, he's obviously, you know, you're, you're only your other touch point really is Cesar Romero. Right. All I'm saying is if you look a couple years later, when you see Mark uh, Hamill do the voice on the animated yes. series. Yeah. You're getting into more what I wanted to see. An actor try to and, – and what you see when Heath Ledger takes the role, you see someone sort of chameleonize themselves and try to become the psychopath where Jack Nichols is like, nope, you're mine and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And we're going to make a lot of money doing it. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I think that goes to some of the downfall of trying to give him an origin story that intersects with – Batman. Oh yeah, all where, that stuff was you know, terrible. Where 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 you never had that before, and you've never had it since, and you're you're not supposed to have it. That wasn't. That's not the that point of the joke. Comic book movies for years. Yeah. After that, yeah. That element of it. Um, yeah. The last thing I say because I don't think we could talk not talk about it is one of the things that's awesome about this movie. And like, there's two things. The musical element of this movie is fantastic, and it's oh, yeah. it's fantastic on two fronts. Danny Elfman's score is. Amazing. Off the charts. It's iconic. Yeah. 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 Terrific. And it's great because it starts to identify a different kind of orchestral grandness than like the John Williams style, yes. right? It's a little yes. more gothic. It has a little bit more angst to it. Uh, the whole approach to this movie has a little more gothicness, a little more angst. It's a little bit darker, a little weirder than you expect. And then you get the Prince score too. So, and then the Prince music, <laughs> the Prince soundtrack. So you have these two scores. And that is an awesome soundtrack, but it's such a weird choice, I yes. think, for this movie. Yeah, uh, and you would think it kind of dates it and puts it in the eight, late eighties, early nineties, which it totally does. But it still works. It definitely becomes it's a character in the movie too. Yes, and it gives the movie these yes. dueling kind of uh, identities. And I just love that that movie has essentially two soundtracks that are both remarkable. Yeah, and actually, we'll um, we won't talk th- about that on this episode, but but I think we'll do a part two where we do the music of 1989, and that's one of the things that pops up is you know uh, the Bat Dance, you know Prince uh, 1989, the Bat Dance, and so we'll we'll hit yes. that when we get to it. But um, I used to have that cassette, loved it. Nice, loved nice, that. loved that. But um, yeah, so. Batman, it's a great, it's a it's a great movie, and it took me a while to kind of come around to it, but I do like it. I, I do think, but I do think Batman Returns, which was a couple summers later, is kind of a stronger movie. So yeah. July, when we get into July, it's a lot more. It's there's, there's nothing that comes to mind immediately as being really really big. There's a couple there. Um, there's one in particular that I see that does. But so this in July, the first big one I guess you get is Weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> which. Is a ridiculous Such movie. A classic growing up, though. I remember watching that as a kid and just laughing so hard. So much slapstick comedy in that. And, you know, just, I mean, it's kind of like it, it was almost like a rebirth of the Three Stooges to a certain extent with everything that's going on. 
Um, I, I enjoy Weekend at Bernie's. The second one, not so much, but the first one, oh my goodness. It totally still... had a weird feel of that kind of movie you'd expect almost from a, like, um, yeah, I don't need, I, I'm not trying to think of it, like an old 40s screwball comedy. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, the movies in the 80s, particularly when they got the comedies, if they always were so weird. Mm-hmm. You know, com- 80s comedies always felt so strange because it was like what are you trying to do here exactly? right like like what are you actually trying to accomplish and sometimes you weren't really sure what they were trying to accomplish weekend at bernie's i'm not a yeah the, the fact that there was even a sequel because it's a it's a dead body <laughs> right okay so it's a dead body and there's a sequel what like 10 years later yeah i mean i know it doesn't take like, like 10 yeah. years later but yeah. like the simple fact that you've you've taken a disbelief in the film as far as you possibly could the first time. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was that Andrew McCarthy. I want to say that. Um, yes, that sounds right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was, that was a movie <laughs> that was released <laughs> in 89. Um, then the big one that you had probably with the, the next big blockbuster was lethal weapon two. Yep. And yep. I kind of forgot about Lethal Weapon 2 being released this summer, but I do love I do love this movie. Yeah. And I think this is one of those cases where I liked it um, as much, if not maybe even a little bit more than Lethal Weapon 1. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think because Lethal Weapon 2, if I'm not mistaken, is the movie they bring Joe Pesci into, into the fold. Yes, right? yes. Yep, that's where and he starts to become one of the main – characters with right because i don't think he was a he wasn't a character in the first movie and so he's introduced in this movie and the the rapport that you got between danny glover and mel gibson is stronger in this movie Mm -hmm. uh mel gibson's a little bit less crazy at least at this point than he was in the previous film um and this is that point where i guess we weren't all aware that he was just being himself right right right? like all these years later you're like so mad max and martin riggs and all these guys and they're William really Wallace, just him. They're just Mel Gibson. <laughs> but but I think but, it works as a build because you know you said he's not as crazy and it's true because he's he's settled into this. He's family. grounded and he's yeah. right. Yeah. And so what you get because of that is that the rapport between he and Danny Glover is like more natural. It's kind of like unforced because they're not going through all that stuff. And I like that they don't try to force it as much. You know, they give yes. them other issues through these series. But this is a series, you know, it's going to be a weird thing for me to say, but I feel like this is one of the things that the Toy Story series also learned, right? You know, that after Buzz <laughs> and Woody, I mean, after Buzz and Woody deal with their junk, right? Like in the first movie, yeah. one of the things that makes the Toy Story movies interesting is that Woody and Buzz are no longer ever questioning their friendship. Other yes. other movies do this all the time, right? We're buddies, but now what happens to us? Right. They have right. other things that come up. Woody has, you know, in every movie. But I, one thing I noticed is that that uh, camaraderie between the two of them is just gets to be what it is. Yes. You know, it exists. Yes. It's a fact. Nothing's going to necessarily break these guys up anymore. They're going to have all kinds of other things to deal with, but it's not necessarily going to be that one thing that was their problem the first time. Through. Right. He's crazy and I can't work with him. Right. You know, and there's, so I like that about the lethal weapon series because I feel like they leave that behind. They still deal with wrinkles of their, their in interactions, right. but it's all about what new thing can we bring in? What new character can we bring in? You know, right. in this one specifically, they focus on bringing in the Joe Pesci, the, 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 lawyer, the Joe Pesci yeah, character. Yeah. And he's their problem, right? right? He's the one that, that, that now has to kind of work with them. And then Renee Russo okay, okay, in the third okay. movie. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, Rene Russo in the third one, and 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 again, I, but I think I think one of the things is like when you look at it at its core, the the relationship, at least the relationships between the characters, imitate life. You know, the the scenarios and the things that they're going through. You know, I mean, the, the, those are just crazy cannon fodder for the action and the story in the background. But but you have the introduction where you know they're. They're, they're working through their problems, but, but now they've settled into their friendship. And so, like you said, you know, it's not going to, nothing's going to really tear them apart. So it's, how are we dealing with these life scenarios and situations that come to us and, and how do we work through them in our friendship? Yeah. And that's what made the movie, I think, fun. And the other thing I like about this, I'm just going to mention it um, about the whole series is that this is the movie. So Darlene Love plays, uh, plays Danny Glover's wife mm-hmm. in the series, you know, and she prior to this, if you look up her career and she was in a, 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 movie, a documentary called 20, uh, like, I think it was like 20 feet from stardom or something like that. It's yeah. about backup singers and all these different songs that they really belong kind of to her. And she was a singer and yet she got kind of pasted over, you know, that they always found, they always gave credit to somebody else and her career was kind of like sidelined from it. So I like that the film, that this film kind of gives her, you know, a role and she's pretty good in it and she's right there up in, you know, kind of, uh, she's in the mix with what's going on. Not necessarily the action, but she's there. So I, I always thought that was kind of cool, but I like all these movies. Honestly, I even like the fourth movie, even though I don't think it is particularly very good. Yeah. Well, it's the fourth one is kind of, it, it, it's a nice, it's like an after school special. Yeah, almost. yeah. But it's, it's a nice closure. You know, it's, it's the admission that, you know, Martin can't be running around, you know, jumping off of buildings forever you know he's he's got to realize that his age is catching up with him and i and i feel like they do a good job at acknowledging you know as as danny glover's character has been doing all along you know i'm too old for this you know and and yeah and and you know you get to the point where martin's character you know uh or, or gibson's character martin is at the same point you know i'm all right i'm getting too old for this but not old enough not too old to fight and defeat Jackie. I'm right, not Jackie, right. Uh, Jet, Jet Lee. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go figure. <laughs> um, so we can go through some of these others a little quicker. Um, a new James Bond movie, License to Kill, came yes, out like yep. about a week later. Yep. Um, and I think I think it's a fun movie. I like I like License to Kill. Yeah, well it's, enough. It's, it's all right. Um, it's Timothy Dalton, correct? Yeah, is the Bond, and and he was I, I enjoyed him as Bond. He did what two. Or three Bond I movies. I think so. I, at least two. I may, Was it more than that? I thought it was two. The thing with Dalton is I kind of feel like he's almost better as a Bond, like, ripoff. You know, like, he's almost too interesting to be James Bond, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, Like, he's not he almost the, has, yeah, yeah. He's got an edge to him that you keep wanting to see him be a little, you know, it's kind of like Daniel Craig had some latitude to, to explore some of that. Dalton's Bond didn't, you know, mm-hmm. but I think Dalton is a character, an actor who who just seems to suggest he's got more going on um, than than what you're just seeing with James Bond. So I thought that would always be more interesting. Uh, he did the Living Daylights, he did License to Kill, and I think that might have been it. Uh, so in just terms the two. Of, uh, okay. I think so, unless there was one earlier than um, the Living Daylights. But I thought earlier than Living Daylights was uh, Roger Moore. So mm. I think it was just the two. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not the world's greatest, like, James Bond. Right. So I wouldn't <laughs> know. But um, I did enjoy the movie. When Harry Met Sally came out this same summer. I um, still have not seen that to this day. Um, 
you know, I, it's one that just kind of, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, again, it was, it was rated R, I believe. And, um, you know, I got to the yeah, point it where is. I it's just, a- you know, never, never got around to watching it and probably never will either. So am I missing anything really big with that movie? It's a good movie. I think it is a good movie. I think it's an interesting movie because I think the characters – It's it starts to develop that template right that you see when you get um, – well, the thing is, it is – I think it is worth seeing. I think it's even worth seeing. My wife just watched it for the first time this summer actually. Okay. Um, and I think the thing is, is that we're used to romantic comedies and we're used to a certain kind of romantic comedy particularly now. And this isn't quite that movie. It definitely has a little bit more of a bittersweet note to it. Uh, it's Rob Reiner. I really like Rob Reiner oh, as a director. Oh, I do too, yeah. And it's Rob Reiner kind of at the height of his powers. This is done Spinal Tap. He's done The Princess Bride. He does mm-hmm. this movie. He goes on a year later and does Misery. I mean, he's like tearing it up right now. And I think it is a very good movie. It may not necessarily be a the movie for you, he was going through a divorce at the time he does this movie. So mm-hmm. a lot of the kind of things, but the thing is a lot of the other comedies like sleepless in Seattle and stuff like that, they have a warmer kind of fuzziness to them that I'm not certain that this movie does. Mm. It's still, there's a, there's good interaction between the two of them. A uh, Billy crystals, a lot of fun to watch in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a movie that, uh, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to go on through the things these characters go through to relate to it, but I don't think it's the happy, Oh, uh, you're the one for me and we're going to go and get married movie. It's not that version of a romantic comedy, but it yeah. is good. It is worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Nice. Nice. Um, let me see. I'm going through some of this UHF. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Conan, the, the librarian. Right. <laughs> Haven't you heard of the Dewey decimal system? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's not much you can actually say about that movie. I'm actually impressed. It made even $7 million. Uh, as I'm looking at it, because some of these movies made very little. I'm like a little surprised with UHF. Uh, um, I we started watching this one with my kids, and I was like, "Oh man, I do like Weird Al, but this movie is literally like it's just him reenacting scenes from other movies with very little. Like the Conan in the Library thing right. might be the funniest thing in the movie because <laughs> there's at least a little bit of a riff. Some of him is just Weird Al Yankovic dressed as Rambo or Indiana Jones, and there's barely any kind of sense of story to the movie at all. Yeah. Um, well, and then there's uh, what's his name who who played Kramer on Seinfeld. Yes. Uh, yes. You know he comes in and then you know he starts Michael Richards. Yeah. He's yeah. Like the, Let's drink from the fire hose and all right. stuff with his mop and everything and it's it's a pretty bad movie. It is. <laughs> I just. But it's yeah. so it's so it's so gloriously bad though. Like I it remember is, it is. Yeah. I just I remember my dad um, taking us again to the to the rental store and seeing that and of course you know familiar with weird owls music and all that stuff and so renting this and i remember just watching this movie from friday night to you know sunday evening oh we used to do that too and you would like (laughs) my parents must have hated that because like some of these movies are pretty i mean let's be honest uhf is about 17 small weird al yankovic video clips yes yes In a, in a vague, vague, vague semblance of a movie. Um, also this month, you had Friday the 13th part, I think that's eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, <laughs> which which I always think of as Jason on a cruise ship movie because he's in Manhattan for about five minutes, which right. is pretty funny because he's just walking down the street shoving people over. 
with the hockey mask. Just bam, he just pushes pushes some guy with like one of those uh, billboard signs. Just pushes him right onto the ground, and uh, he he does wreak havoc in Manhattan, but he mostly wreaks havoc on a cruise ship. I. As an 80s kid, I kind of do like these slasher movies, and I kind of like this one too. But at this point, it was all – at least it took him out of Crystal Lake, so he's on a cruise ship right. this time. But <laughs> not, a, not a lot of variation, but I kind of had fun with the movie. Uh, too funny. Then we had – this is the point in time. I keep forgetting 89, so I think The Burbs has already come out earlier this year. But yep. I keep forgetting this is the period of Tom Hanks. This is pre – I guess the big one that changes it for him is Philadelphia, right? That's when he does yes, a dramatic movie yeah. and he kind of never quite looks back. He still does a few comedies. He, he, he was he was kind of um, rotating out of it in the 90s there. He does um, he starts doing like Joe versus the Volcano, which still has a little bit of the silly Tom Hanks. He was also get, in Turner and Hooch this year too. This is the movie I'm talking about. So okay. Turner and Hooch is the one he's still firmly entrenched in. Yeah. Goofy Tom Tom Hanks, the comedian, just yeah. like Michael uh, Keaton, the comedian, right? Yeah. And it's him and a big slobbery dog. Yeah. And I really remember nothing about it other than that. Yeah, I, I think that's really all there. I think, what was it, a few years later, Chuck Norris did another dog movie, Top Dog or something like that. Oh, gosh, yes. But this same year, James Belushi did Canine, which oh, was yes. – so you add those two. So it was yes. the same – and I don't necessarily remember. I'm probably if I if I had someone hand me a piece of paper and said write the plot down, what I would come up with would probably be an amalgamation of Canine and, and Turner and Hooch together. The only yeah. the thing that I remember mostly was I if I remember correctly because I I did see both of them when they came out was enjoying Canine more than Turner and Hooch. And as a and kid, I don't know why. Have- that may have been, I'm not certain, but that may have been because I, the only thing I do remember about Turner and Hooch, is, and spoilers, guys, yeah. is that the dog <laughs> dies at the end of Turner and Hooch. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't die in Canine. And I probably think is that that, that was is why. That it? Okay. I don't know. For okay. me, it probably was because I was a kid and I saw this movie. And it, I mean, he dies and you just don't expect him to die, right? Sure. Like um, in this kind of buddy cop kind of right. movie. I think they both, I think. Both dogs probably get shot or something happens to both dogs. And there's probably a scene. And here's a scene where he's like at the vet. He's supposed to be against the hospital. Right. And he's like, is he going to pull through, you know, in both movies? But I, I, I'm pretty certain he only dies in Turner. I could, I could have him reversed as possible. But that's my memory. I think that Canine was much more of a kind of slapstick. And Turner and Hooch was maybe trying to be more of a movie. Sure. But sure. um but I don't know that either one of them is particularly good. I do see that Turner Hooch made a decent amount. He made about $70 million at the, at the box office. So yeah. uh, there's a – so stateside here, what comes out – and we go to August then, and we do get a movie that I think is pretty good actually right off the bat, which is Parenthood. Yes, um, yes. Which is – Steve this Martin. Is yep. Steve Martin, and it's one of the first big movies by Ron Howard. Yep. So this has been Ron Howard coming off of the only – I think the other big movie he did before this was Willow, which obviously mm-hmm. is a very different kind of movie. So he did Willow, and then he has Parenthood. And I really like Parenthood a lot. I think it's um, I think it's a good movie. I think it's uh, one of Steve Martin's better movies from the time period. Yep. You know, that would be fair to say, but yeah. I, I feel like that's the case. Did you enjoy this one? It had a great cast too. It did. Uh, a yeah. very diverse cast of actors. I did enjoy that one. I, I so it's again when it first came out, I probably watched it a lot more than I have any time recently. 
Um, you know, the last time I probably saw it was, you know, mid to late nineties. So it's been a number of years since I've seen it, but I, I do remember enjoying it. I do remember watching it. I remember everything, you know, about it just kind of worked. Like you said, the, the, the cast, um, the, the humor, you know, one of the big things I remember is, is the, uh, police scene where, you know, the, the cop pulls him over for driving, uh, wonky because of something that's going on. And I, you know, I remember that. Um, and so I remember, you know, parts of it that were, uh, just, just kind of worked, you know, his, but, but it wasn't just the humor. It was also, you know, the, him really, you know, putting out there and I don't remember it just being full of laughs and giggles, but he was, you know, truly genuinely struggling with being a parent and, and working through life. And the big thing that strikes me, because we watched it again, it's one of Jen's favorites. We watched it again like last year. The thing that strikes me about it is that it is definitely an ensemble movie. So, yes, Steve Martin is kind of at the center, but you've got all these other great actors in there. Mary Steenburgen plays his wife. Yep. Diane Weist is in there. Jason Robards plays his dad, and he was such a great actor. Mm-hmm. Rick Moranis is in here, too. He's got a decent role. Tom Hulse, who plays Amade, who played Amadeus by this point, yep. is in the movie. Keanu Reeves is in the movie. Yes, yeah. Even when young Joaquin Phoenix is in the movie and uh, this is just a good, it's a great cast. And as you pointed out, it's a good blend of humor and drama and enough so that they, they, they've done this as a TV show twice now. You know, they did, they did it less successfully in the nineties. And I remember that um, Ed Begley Jr. Was, was the Steve Martin role. Yeah. And I don't think that one went over that well, but there was a more recent parenthood. I don't know how connected it was to this one. But um, this this concept of these different families interacting, and you saw a lot of these sort of movies spring up after it. But I think it's a nice mix of humor, and it's a mix of of the real reality you're watching it. And even though it was made in '89, if you got kids, you recognize a lot of these feelings and emotions that come with having kids and having a family. And so, I yeah, I think it's um, I I still think it's a good one that holds up. It's one that's still good outside of oh, it came out in the '80s. Yes. Um, yep. As I promised last week, Young Einstein did indeed come out <laughs> with Yahoo Serious. Do you remember this movie? No, I don't. Yeah, let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> I'll let everyone else look it up. It was ridiculous. It was, you know, it's like UHF. I probably watched UHF and Young Einstein on the same weekend when I finally uh, rented them. Um, a lockup with Stallone was this summer. I'm sure you probably saw that. Uh, no, not lock up. I did see another one that came out this summer though. Uh, was that Tango, Tango and Cash? Cash? Yep. Did that come out this summer? Nice. Was, okay. Yep. I was, I'm not quite there yet. We're going pretty slow. We're in August though. There was also Sleepaway Camp 3. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but um, moving on. Yeah, Sleepaway Camp 3. There was also A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child, which I think was Nightmare on Man, these horror movies were just bam, bam, bam. Um, I guess a little more inexpensive to make. Did you ever watch any of these Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Um, I think I saw I, I saw clips of them, but I never saw the whole thing. Yeah, clips are about about right. Um, I like <laughs> a couple of them. I did. This was pretty pretty horrible. I remember this was the the Dream Child. It was part five, and I think at this point you can kind of tell that uh, the actor Robert Englund, who's playing Freddy Krueger, is kind of yeah. just going through the motions. He's right. Just, he's handling it almost like a stand up gig at this point. You know, he comes in, he throws <laughs> them one liners out, and then Robert Englund, like a lot of these horror icon characters, 
um, is a decent is a decent actor, and he's like a thoughtful guy. Yeah, with these these horror characters, I think after a while you've played them. Now the, with Jason, this is a guy behind a mask grunting. Now that's not to throw shade on Kane Hodder and all those different actors that played him, because there's a lot of physicality in the role. But with uh, Robert England, I think you know he, he, he Freddie had some personality, right. and I think it was like his big break, big break. But he's I think he's the kind of guy that you know this is the this is my thing now. Right, and right. I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him my all every time out. I don't think he was ever resting on his laurels. But the movies keep getting sillier and sillier. I will say that first movie in '84 that Wes Craven directed is a pretty good horror movie. Some of the others are interesting too. This one's not so much. Same summer, uh, we have. So the other really big one, and it's funny because it really didn't make that much of a splash box office wise. No pun intended when I tell you what it is. But James Cameron's The Abyss. Yes. Yep. Yep. Which I think is a really, really good movie. I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it, I think it holds up um, after all these years. Uh, not only um, you know, not only the story is the story fun. Um, you know, a, a great sci-fi story, but also the the special effects. I really feel like most of them hold up uh, to today's standards as well. Well, they do, and a lot of that's down to the rigor that even from the beginning that uh, Cameron had does with all of his movies, like the the. The, the research trigger, the actual like sets and the practical effects. I mean, a lot of this movie is done with submersibles and a big water tank. You know, like yes. there's underwater photography. There's a lot of work that goes into making this movie, and it really holds up because you can see it. I, and, and there's been ripples through this ever since the abyss, right? Like the underwater thriller genre yes. really yes. is like ridiculous. In 1989, there's like five movies you know, Leviathan, Deep Star Six, and they probably all went into production after The Abyss, and three of them were probably released before The Abyss. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Roger Corman even did one called Lords of the Deep. But this one I love. Uh, one, Ed Harris is in it. Yep. Uh, you have Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. You have a lot of really yep. uh, the Michael special effects. Yep. Yes, yes. The, wa- the water tentacle in this movie is sort of the inspirational yep. effect that becomes Terminator 2. But this is a really great one if you haven't seen it. The one thing I will say is theatrical version really isn't is fine, but they I don't know if you ever saw the director's cut. I it. did, this, yes. Yeah, it makes a s- substantial difference because it changes the entire gist of what's happening at the end. Yes. Like what's happening with the um the 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 the, the, the beings they find at the bottom of the ocean who they are and what they're doing is really not fleshed out at all. And then the, the abyss adds about 40 minutes or more of, of footage and storyline that explain everything and make it all make sense. Yes. So you aren't really, to me, you're not even seeing the whole movie. If you aren't seeing the director's cut, I don't feel that about all movies. Usually it's a tweak here, tweak there, but it significantly changes the story. And it's funny because one of the movie's biggest special effects is just cut out of the movie at all. when They right. release it theatrically. Yes. Yep. No, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think, I think it so. does add so much. And I remember the first time I saw it, uh, you know, I, I kind of put it off for the longest time. Like, yeah, what could it really be? And then like, oh my goodness, it, it really, it's really like you're watching a different movie to a certain extent. And it only made about $54 million. Like it's, it, you made a lot less money and I'm sure it costs more to make. Um, of course, that didn't stop Cameron. He went on and he's now found a way to make the biggest movie ever made every single time he releases a movie. Right. But, um let's we'll start wrapping this up so yeah. other ones we've got um i remember rude awakening with the uh like the i think it was a bunch of 60s potheads yeah in yeah, the yeah. 80s yeah. i think uh cheech was in that one uncle buck 
What yes. do you think about Uncle Buck? Oh my gosh! Any any John Candy movie for me is just um, it, it's it's a great classic. I mean, he was a fantastic comedian, and you know, uh, Harry Crumb, Uncle Buck, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, um, even the short little cameo he does in Home Alone. Um, all of them. Yeah, just only really the lonely work. was yes. really was really good. He did another one, um, Delirious, where he ended up inside of a soap opera. Oh yes, I do. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, but I mean, Uncle Buck just is so fun because you've got the, you know, you've got the uncle who's the the crazy off the wall. You know, it's like okay, this is the last resort to watch our sociopathic. kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a, it's another one of those '80s movies where you're like he's kind of crazy, like right, like maybe crazy. He could kill the children. Right, sure right. <laughs> and, and you almost wonder if that was part of the parents' hesitation in asking him to watch the children. Well, you um, kind of get that, yeah. Because um, you kind of get that because it's such a uh, it, they they have those scenes, you know. And I think the kids even mention it, like he's probably going to kill us or something, you know. Like, right? There's there's a scene where he like breaks. Doesn't he specifically target the? Because at this point, you realize he really is out for the best interest of the family, and right. the older daughter has got herself into a potentially compromising situation. Yes, and you see the bolts start to come off of the door, and it, like the door falls away, and there's that imposing, scary figure. Yeah. He's like broken into this bedroom, <laughs> and he's talking about how he's gonna see how he can circumcise a fly and everything yeah. with his knife. And he's like, "Nah, <laughs> fly? Do I see a resemblance?" Yeah, he's like, so he kind of plays all that up a bit. It's I like. I liked Jim, uh, John Candy a lot. I liked him so much, particularly as, when I was younger. I remember writing him a letter when I was in like the sixth grade. Um, nice. Like, because we had to write to somebody, and that's the person I wrote to. And he sent me something back, signed and everything. It was, I'm oh, that's sure cool. I've got it somewhere. I need, I need to locate that. But that was, uh, and then of course, it was, actually, he was one of the first people I remember being really sad uh, when he passed in yes. terms of a, a celebrity. I remember that being actually kind of like, man, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's rough. Yep. No, I but, yeah, uh, I agree one hundred percent. But yeah, Uncle Buck is it's a classic. I remember watching it, you know, growing up. Again, this is when we talk about the summer of eighty nine and the movies that come out of it, I mean this this is some of the reasons why we're talking about these things is because so many good movies coming out yeah. of it. Um like Eddie and the Cruisers too. <laughs> I was thinking Wizard. <laughs> wizard. I think the Wizard was it was this year, but I think it was earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, but you know, since you're on that topic of movies like Wizard, now there were other good movies that came out this summer. Um, Heart of Dixie came out this summer. Yep. You also had, uh, which was a good movie. Um, they had a, a weird movie that I like that had uh, Chris Christopherson called Millennium, and a yes. real weird sci-fi movie, yes. like real off the wall. But I like it. Yeah, I do. Um, I do remember that. I enjoyed that one as well. Yep. I think it, it deals with like disappearing. Uh, Ship planes or something, yep, like airplanes, and yep. uh, he's in it. And I always kind of liked Chris Chris seeing Chris Christopherson in, in movies. Um, obviously, he was a musician first. It's funny, I think a friend of ours, uh, Chris, he comes to me one he he sends me an email, he's all excited, and he's like, uh, Nathan, you won't believe it, Chris Christopherson's actually making music now. You know, what's the world come to? And this is like 2013. I'm like, he was a musician first, right? <laughs> it's like this idea of like the guy from Blade is now in. <laughs> <laughs> he's making CDs. Um, so apparently he never come across Sunday morning coming down, but, um, 
<laughs> Let's see. So then really that's the the other movie though is Little Monsters. Yes, Fred Savage, yep. And Howie Mandel, yep. And Howie Mandel. And is it just like I feel like Howie Mandel he's clearly trying to do the Michael uh Keaton thing, right? Yes. Like, Little Monsters seems like it's trying to be a more kid friendly, although I'm not sure how kid friendly, like version uh, yeah. of of Beetlejuice. Yes. Yeah, I, and I agree because I remember, I remember when I was younger, constantly being deceived by this movie because, you know, thinking, oh, this looks like a fun kids movie, and then like, I feel like this is creepier and more scary than Beetlejuice, and I, I don't know that this movie ever quite fully worked for me. Um, no, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's. It's something to acknowledge because it was such a big movie, and I remember. I've heard people talking about remaking it. I kind of get that. Um, yeah, I think it would have to depend on how they remade it, though, because if they remake it into the same thing, then I don't think it would work again. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, this it's like I think you take the concept of there's a monster under a kid's bed, he goes on adventures with him, and redo everything else. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I agree. I think that would be. That would be the thing to do. But uh, to me, Howie Mandel was kind of the problem with the movie. Like it was – he was so irritating. Like I didn't I, – I found him like grading, not interesting. Yes. Yep. And even as a kid. But there are people I know who love the movie and um, I do agree with you. I, I don't think it's very good. I noted something. I see that it's really, – it's, it, it must have been primarily though a – it says theatrical, but I'm guessing it really was a – you know, I think we're st- starting to get into that period of time where movies are – some movies are now VHS releases, right? Like primarily. Yeah. And the reason I mention this is Little Monsters made 542000 not million, $542,000 – at the box office, mm. which is not very much money at all. It makes me lean to think it was only sparsely released yeah. Um, yeah, you as could a be theatrical right. movie. So then we get really, that's it for August. There's a movie called The Package. I, I think it was a Gene Hackman movie. And then we get into, there's a couple movies we mentioned September. And that's basically, that's basically the end of it. But um, Kickboxer was I, I was going to do a small segment on on some of the martial art movies that came out because as a martial artist, you know that was that was big for me. So yeah, Kickboxer was one, and then he had a second one that came out that same year called. Do you know? Was it Bloodsport? No, it wasn't Bloodsport. I think was that it one came out earlier. Nope. Not Lionheart. Uh, Lionheart may have come out that same year, but I don't think it was that one. The other one that was more famous that came out was Cyborg. Oh, was it more? See, I thought Kickboxer was more famous than Cyborg. I remember Cyborg. No, no, I meant more famous than the other one. Kickboxer and Cyborg for a Van Damme movie are are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cyborg was, yes, it was in April. So I do remember the Cyborg. came out like in April. And then it's funny because that movie, the dream team, which we talked about, it had Michael Keaton yes. came out then too. So some of these movies you're right. And so, and I don't know that what's his name. I, I don't know if Seagal had any movies at this, like, or this year, I think he had just done above the law, maybe a year earlier, yep, but you're right. We right. have two of them. Cyborg was a pretty bad movie. My memory of it uh, is that it was pretty bad, but I haven't seen it in years. It, it was, but it was more of it. I think it's developed like more of a cult following in later years. It may have. I remember seeing Cyborg 2 that had Angelina Jolie and Jack Palance in it. Oh, yes. And Elias Cotes was in it. So I remember those movies, but I don't remember much about Cyborg. And I was never really a big 
Van Damme fan. I think I enjoyed Bloodsport. Um, it was him and Bolo Young in that yep. one. Yep. And I remember less about Kickboxer. All I remember about Kickboxer is that it did spawn its own sort of DVD or direct-to-video kind of uh, releases. Sequel. Yeah, yeah. I Kickboxer think- too. Didn't that have like the guy from like Step by it Step? It was Sasha Mitchell, which yes. who was actually one of the things I actually one of the things that I like. I, I enjoyed Kickboxer two more than the original because Sasha Mitchell is actually a legitimate martial artist um and i actually enjoyed that one a little better uh the other ones were a little trash and then they ended up doing like kickboxer five which brought in a young mark dacascos um but but again when you're looking at like 80s martial arts movies kickboxer is quintessential 80s martial art movies like you can't there with a uh, best of the best which came out later this same which year, came out later yes yep eric roberts which i like best of the best better because yes. well eric roberts is not a martial artist at this point in time he was still a, an actual he was a actor good actor yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and and it's it, best of the best is fun because it deals more with a tournament style martial arts than it did a street fighting martial arts and so they were yes. able to get away with teaching these actors how to fight and 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 deal with tournament and and eric roberts had done um what was the one he did a few years ago uh before this one where where he did um some fighting in it um well he the one i mean he had a big action movie before this called runaway train um But I'm looking up. I'm looking him up right now. Runaway Train wasn't really a wasn't a martial arts movie at all. But it was. Uh, what was it? It was um, John Voight and as a bunch of guys took over Train. I yes. want to say that like Akira Kurosawa worked on the script or something like that. I don't know why I'm remembering that, but I'm looking up his filmography as we speak. So you know what was also a movie that I love, and I don't know if it was this year or not. Did you ever see? Uh, maybe not martial arts in the sense of like um, like hand to hand combat per se. Mm-hmm. But did you ever see Blind Fury? Yes, yes, with uh, the one with Rucker Hauer. Yes, with Rucker Hauer. Yeah, yep. um, I always liked that movie too. I that was another one that got rented a whole lot. Yes. back in the day, that was very good. Um, we can't forget the the all time classic though, uh, Karate Kid Three. Oh my gosh! I don't. You know what? I like. I must have gone. Let me go back up to that because I think what I did is I must have just zoomed past it in the list. Uh, oh, you're right. I did. In fact, uh, yes, I missed a whole chunk of movies there. Just very briefly, Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing," yeah. which is an exceptional movie, <laughs> came out that summer too. Obviously, not a uh, your typical summer blockbuster, but a very important movie and a good and a good movie and probably his best movie if if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, Great Balls of Fire came out Ooh, with uh, Dennis I Quaid. That yeah, movie too, Dennis Quaid, and then yep. Alec Baldwin too. Yep. And then you're right, Karate Kid Part Three. And I'm sorry, I missed that whole chunk of movies. They all came out at the end of June in 1989. Yeah, and I like uh, I like all of them. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the the thing with Karate Kid Part Three is it's it's so you know um, if you ever listen to um, Zach Bartles and Ted Cluck, they will constantly reference this movie, um, and it's just <laughs> they do, a they lot. do, and it's it's so fun to listen to them reference this movie and to talk about things from this movie. Um, but yeah, we we couldn't we couldn't. Uh, Is this the one where that. there was a whole subplot with the bonsai tree? Yes, yes, this okay. was the one. Yep. 
He goes to Japan, I think. No, that was the second one where he goes to Japan. This one, they're back in America, and they're bringing in um, uh, Terry Silver, who was um, oh, the guy's escaping me. Uh, his name, the 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 villain from the first one. Um, why is his name escaping me? Um, the the one that Martin Kemp plays. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so that's like his kind of friend. And so there's this whole elaborate plan to, you know, to bring Daniel Russo back into the tournament circuit and, you know, to they're they're going to train him, but they're going to train him in the worst possible way and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still, it's, it's a Karate Kid movie. It's a fun, you know, fun movie. On Crease. Ostracized. I love the IMDb synopsis on these things are so fun. <laughs> Ostracized villain John Crease attempts to gain revenge on Daniel Miyagi with the help of a Vietnam War comrade, the wealthy owner of a toxic waste disposal business. <laughs> like what awesome plots the eighties had just so, so, such, so great. So yeah, I must be thinking of the second movie. Um, so is it this one or is it the second movie that has the Chicago song at the end of it? That's the second that's one. The second movie. Yep, okay. That's the second one. So maybe I've never seen karate kid part three. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? Um, I'll have to, uh, we'll, we'll uh, have to get Zach Bartles and Ted Cluck on and I'm we'll sure have to do will. like, I'm a- sure I have seen it. I <laughs> just need to rewatch it because the image for, I just had literally replaced it. Everything I'm envisioning, even to that end scene where the guy comes, sw- I just remember the guy coming down the ropes with the yes. lanterns on it. Yes. And he's coming yep. down the, lo- <laughs> the, the bat, the villain. So those are all the things I remember. I really, I, I, I liked Karate Kid too. And I think I did like three. I'm just looking at it and it is not sparking. Um, right sparking uh anything no oh, no wait a minute what's thomas that? ian griffith with thomas ian griffith was in the movie okay yeah it's starting to come back and martin cove yeah like i said martin cove was back so i'm looking at it images are starting to or surface so i will take a look at it i have i haven't showed the kids karate kid yet so that might be a series to get to get on gotcha um, yeah yeah that's a well, good that's one a, well unless there, you have there's well, a couple ahead. more that i want to mention real quick um and I'm just I'm going to mention them all, and then we can choose a couple of them to talk about. But um, Back to the Future Part Two. That was was I thought that was ninety. Was it in eighty nine? Maybe the very end of eighty nine. I I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the very end of eighty nine. Um, it could be wrong. Um, let's Let me see, because I thought that was I thought that was the summer of ninety. Because what kind of happens with that movie is it comes out in the summer and then the um, rest of them come out. The sequel comes out like a few months later. Like my memory was they came out like literally back Back to to back. back. Yeah, really. Because of the because there's like a cliffhanger ending with Back to the Future 2. And uh, then the other one comes. So I thought it was the same summer as. No, wait a minute. You. Oh, you're right. So what happens is we're both kind of right. Uh, you're right, and it comes out this year, but it doesn't come out in the summer. It comes out in November uh, of '89. Okay. Yep. So it was one more like the holiday movies around. It was released at Thanksgiving time '89, and then the sequel comes out in May of 1990. Gotcha. So again, a handful of months. They're basically back to back, but one comes out in the winter. So which is fine. We can talk about movies all of '89. We were kind of doing summer, but I don't care. That's fine. Like, well, and yeah, you ha- you you have this the the specific um, the same, yeah. month, but list, you're right. So, it it yeah. seemingly would be a summer movie. Did you like Back to the Future too? I I like it. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think it did really well to you know to bring in um, aspects of 
the uh, the first one, you know, uh, this is, you know, to use an Avengers term, to me, this is where you have a, a really good time heist going on where you're trying to, you know, put put right some things that were wronged after, you know, messing up some things in the first one and, and making changes and adjustments. So, yeah, I did. I really liked it. You know, again, 2015 comes and goes and we're still wondering where our hovercrafts are. Um, right. So, Hey, but Biff Tannen is president. That's right. <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, so that was one. And then, um, steel Magnolias, um, big movie that came out in 89. I, I remember, um, my mother and sister watching that quite a bit when I was younger. Oh my gosh. I have not yes. seen that one. It has been so long since I've seen that one, probably because I was so traumatized having watched it having to have watched it so many times when I was younger, but um, I feel like it's one of those movies. It's almost just like, it's, it's like, it's, it's like sad. It's like sadness indulgence for the sake of itself. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that, and that makes sense. It really, it really does. Um, but we also have the, the very first look who's talking comes out. Um, John yeah, Travolta, yeah, Christie Alley, um, and then you know, of course, the the classic "All Dogs Go to Heaven," which actually is still, in my opinion, a great uh, movie. Um, the, I like "All Dogs Go to Heaven." One. Don Bluth. I yeah. miss the I miss the Don Bluth um, animation studios. Uh, I think it was it was ultimately the movie Titan AE, which I enjoyed. That kind of yeah. that that broke them, that put them under. But I do like uh, yeah, I like that movie. Quite a bit. It's a. It, it, it was a nice. Um, there were basically the uh, the the other option for Disney movies at the time. Now we yes. have other options, but they were the more like eccentric. You know, Secret of Nim. Yep. They had done the Land Before Time was really big for them before this, and I don't think I think this was the one that was kind of weirder and didn't quite hit as much. But I I remember liking it. Yep. So those are those are kind of the ones that that were floating around in my head as you know just yeah and if, if we're doing the rest of the year we should probably point out that you know Michael Myers couldn't be outdone by the fact that this is Michael Myers not Mike Myers right the comedian but the masked psychopath right they couldn't be outdone by the fact that Freddie and Jason got a movie so you did have Halloween Five the Revenge of Michael Myers. <laughs> Chad Donald Pleasant's coming back to fight him again. And if I had to make any statement, I would probably say that this Halloween five is probably better for what it's worth than, <laughs> than nightmare five or, or, uh, Jason part eight, you know, yep. uh, Friday, 13, Friday, eight. there is a movie that came out this year though. I don't know if you saw it that I actually think was a pretty good horror movie from the director of nightmare on Elm street from Wes Craven called shocker. Did you ever see shocker? No, I didn't. So Shocker's kind of interesting. He has Mitch Pileggi, who was later on the X-Files, and he's a guy who gets a, uh, he gets electrocuted and dies, but he kind of goes into the TV, and then he, from the TV he can jump into body. So he body hops a lot. And there's an I remember there's a fight scene towards the end of the film where the hero somehow manages to chase him from, from one of the bodies he's in into the television set. And they're running through old episodes of Leave it the Beaver and stuff like this. <laughs> and you just see this psychopath in this guy. So, so it kind of has that humor that Wes Craven would bring to movies. you know. And he would obviously do that with Scream. And it's a fun movie. So if you get a chance to see it, it's called Shocker. I actually think that's one of the better and more fun kind of 80s horror movies because it doesn't take itself terribly seriously. We mentioned Best of the Best. Um, 
Uh, there was the stepfather part two, and you know, you right. said all dogs go to heaven. Uh, Prancer was this year. That's a good movie. Oh, that is a good movie. Um, yes. Anyways, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. We've talked about it like dozens of times. Yes. Um, what else? Uh, the War of the Roses is a really dark Ro- movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with Michael, um, the same, the same stars, all the same stars that were in um, *Romancing the Stone*. Yep. Uh, you know Michael Douglas yep. and Ka- and um, oh, uh, Cat- Catherine Turner. Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner. Thank yeah. you, and and Danny DeVito. Yep. Um, the Wizard, as you mentioned, did in fact come out this year. There, there were two others. Um, thinking about, I mentioned the first one, um, which is uh, I really like John Cusack. Um, and so I remember seeing this one, uh, not, it's a good one, but not one of my favorites of his, but say anything came out. Um, yeah, well, that's a really good, that was the first time you saw, um, I want to say, uh, was that Cameron Crowe? Who was it that worked? And I think, uh, say anything would maybe did, uh. Yeah, say anything was good. That's the image. Of course, everyone remembers him with the, the boom box the boom over the box head yep. playing, um, playing the Peter Gabriel song. Yeah. So yeah, I remember that movie and it was a good movie and it was like kind of, uh, it was a little bit different than the other John Hughes style movies that we had at that, in that yeah. moment, you know? Yeah. Um, um, and Dolph then, Lundgren had red scorpion. Yes. Oh my goodness. Seriously. That's great. Oh my goodness. Yes, and Pet Cemetery was this year as well. And canine, yeah. as we pointed out was, was just a month or two earlier. And, um, like you said, cyborg, the dream team. In light of uh, major league. Oh, major. Oh, actually, that that's right. Those were uh, two other. Not only do we have major league, but also field of dreams. So you had two. Yeah. Baseball movies, but two very different style baseball movies. Wait a minute, was Field of Dreams this year? Uh yeah, I'm pretty sure. Eighty nine. It was. Leviathan is a movie I I always always enjoyed. That's also an underwater monsters movie. Yeah. Um, oh, how could we forget Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Well, because it wasn't in the because that's the thing. I'm I've gone back to uh, oh yeah the yeah movies that it came out earlier yeah. in the year because why would I leave out Police Academy Six City Under Siege? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, you know I would never do that on purpose. Um, but yeah, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and The Burbs the came Burbs? out on the same day. Yes. That's genius. Nice. <laughs> um, and you know what? I'm happy and pleased to see that The Burbs really did. You know, I always felt like people didn't think that great of it originally when it came out. But it, it was only – it only made a little bit less money than Bill and Ted, uh, Bill and Ted's <laughs> Excellent Adventure. I think The Burbs is better, but they're both good. Uh, we also had The Fly too, which I uh, don't really remember that. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it. I know that it had Eric Stoltz in it. The Mighty Quinn's a good movie with uh, Denzel Washington, an earlier Denzel Washington movie. Oh, and uh, another one, Deep Glory. Stars. Glory. Glory was – yeah. Oh, man. It says a lot of stuff. Um American Ninja Three Blood Hunt. I mean, come on! <laughs> <laughs> How could we forget that one? No, we shouldn't have. That's a. Uh, it's on us. Communion again. Like I say, uh, we did the. We should have just done the whole thing. Right. Um, we talked about but, uh, all dogs go to heaven, but also we can't forget the the Disney was Little Mermaid came out that yes, year. Yes, Little Mermaid was again, and that one was around um, the end of the year. I want to say November. I think it was also a. Thanksgiving kind of movie. And again, yeah. yes, it was. And the Don Bluth, the Bluth studios would continually do this where they release one almost like as, as counter programming didn't work out as great for them this time. Cause all dogs go to heaven made $26 million and the little remain made $222 million. Just, just a little discrepancy uh, just, there. Just a little bit. Yes. Um, 
But you also had uh, around that same time. Uh, oh my gosh, do you remember? So let's see, Driving Miss Daisy yes. came out, yep. and you're right, Glory and Driving Miss Daisy came out on the same day. Uh, you, this is where you're getting into um, movies that were released to be the big uh, winter movies. Born mm. on the Fourth of July has a good performance uh, by Tom Cruise playing mm. Roger Kovacs. Um, and I think, yeah, and then always, which that's always is not that great of a movie, but I, and we talked about this on our Spielberg episodes, but this is the first time I think that Spielberg had that deal where he had two movies released the same year, where yes. he'd do that thing that he's done four or five times now, where he does a big, um, you know, blockbuster, grab the money picture. And then he does a small, he does a, a movie that's, you know, more the drama movie or the movie. And, and always is a kind of a fun, fun movie. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss is in that one. Yeah. So um, that's what I got. Uh, anything else you wanted to cover, Nathan? No, I think, I think that was it. And, I, I, you know, as much as we focused on, you know, we kind of blew through the other movies because we really wanted to focus on the summer ones. But I think, again, when we look at 1989, I, I, you know, it's – what what will make up a summer in my opinion and what made up the summer was was also you know everything that was going on in the year as well and so seeing you know seeing the the movies that came out of the summer but but really that year had such strong movies coming out of it um that that are are really iconic um for so many and you know, I'm glad we were able to at least touch on that. We've we've rounded off with a nice two hour mark here, so I don't want to uh, <laughs> I don't want to you know drive it even further. But I uh, do want to say I think we should do another one where we talk about the music because there is uh, you know yeah. What we'll probably iconic. do next time I'm realizing is I'll probably do is come up with a list where we just say pick each of us will pick like five yeah like notable albums, five notable movies. And we'll go there. I enjoyed going through this list like this, but this is a bit much. Um, I hope everybody enjoys listening to it. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, um, that's I'm, it's good for me. But I, I think that what we'll do is maybe we'll pick another um, uh, summer. Is there any summer that catches your your um, mind, Nathan? What we'll do, we'll keep it to the summers. We'll send each other lists. And then we'll also, um, anybody has any suggestions, any movie summers you guys would like to see. I'm trying to think of any come to mind. Is there any specific one? I thought of this one because I was thinking – uh, and again, not just movies, but just summers in general, capturing yeah. what was going on. And for me, this one stood out because I do remember so many like big movies coming out. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And and I think that sounds great. You know, um, you know, want to, again, just kind of remind the listeners, you know, hey, don't forget next week, Nathan and I are going to be talking about uh, the Lord of the Rings, the two towers. The week after that, we'll do our live, uh, our live show talking about the two towers and then, um, you know, some good, some good stuff planned for the summer of 2020. Um, and so we're looking forward to, you know, the future want to remind the listeners also don't forget to jump on to your listening service and just, uh, you know, go ahead and shoot us a review. Uh, don't forget about that. You know, it, it does help us when it, when it comes to, uh, getting us on the listener, uh, lists and it gets us higher up there. So please remember to do that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's it, right? I think that's it. So and again, go, go check out phantom galaxy at yes. com. Oh no, sorry. Phantom galaxy at podbean. 
com. Nice. And uh, you can also get there. We have a Facebook page and all that kind of stuff. So check it out. And um, that's uh, that's a well, pretty that's much it, it isn't yeah. it, Nathan? Yeah, right. we're going to go a lot ahead of fun. and uh, wrap it up now. So, Nathan, until next time, we just rock the Casbah. These go to 11.